four, three, two, one. Yes, we're live. And like, given that we're live now, it's been a long time. And uh, we were planning on going live yesterday, right, Jab? But you know us. We got we to gotta push the limits here, right? Got to absolutely yeah, only push. only a day late today. Yeah, only a day late, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fashionably one day late. Yeah, very fashionable for sure. So, uh, yeah, we are live now in my, like, new studio. And uh, hopefully the lighting is somewhat better. And it seems like it is to me. And uh, although we are missing the uh, the banner that's going to be going right here, we're going to get that figured out. And there's like a whole bunch of other stuff. We'll just kind of show everyone. Ooh, books and uh, other things. So I'm actually going to be filming the predominant uh, amount of my uh, lectures and videos from the studio here. And uh, also like my car studio uh, when I'm mobile. So either the car studio or in here or while I'm walking, uh, probably, I don't know, herding cats in the neighborhoods. Who knows what I get up to uh, in this wow. day. Yeah. Never not do that. Oh. Hello, Brandy. Yes, hello, Brandy. Uh, and, um, and Taj Marie, yes. Is that the famous wow. whiteboard? Yes. That is the famous whiteboard. What? 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 Hey, Why is everyone saying hello to you and not me? I, I don't know. But that guy, Stellar Memer, who plays Eve Online, Jab, is uh, is watching us right now. And, uh, yeah, like, I mean, we just joined Test and left Northern Coalition because Vince oh. Draken is... That, that's right. Everyone's saying hello to me now. Oh, uh, yeah. Feel. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. Oh, wow. What is my favorite anime? I don't know, actually, what my favorite anime is. I'll have to think on that one for a while. Uh, I mean, I'd have to go back to the classics and be like, whatever classics. I watched when I was a kid. I'd, I'd go oh. with, like, Gundam Wing or maybe Dragon Ball Z, one of those two. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, uh, I'm i not really sure. I, I have to say it's Death Note, quite frankly, but I think everyone's favorite <laughs> is Death Note, so... It's kind of, kind of where it is. The only problem with Death Note is like, whenever you watch these animes, you look at them and you're like, if I was in that story, like, how would I manipulate the scene and make, and how would the world be different if I was in that story? But the problem is, I basically end up replacing Light, so it's not very fun for me. And then I end up winning. But you know, that's just INTJ pride right there. Yeah. Yeah, he has a great accident because, or accident? Wow. Yeah, your accent is accidental, Jab. Because you're, you're from. an accident. <laughs> yeah. That was planned. <laughs> because, because you live in Aussie land with all the Aussies. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, all the Aussie I mean, land. You're live here if you were, weren't planned. Yeah, so let's. Uh, get by snake. Or by spider. So what are we doing? What are we doing tonight? We are doing Q. Q&A. So how Q&A works, folks, uh, if you have a question for uh, for me and Jab, just uh, you could do Super Chat because we're coin-operated like that. Uh, actually, Jab is coin-operated for sure. Hashtag uh, sellout. Yep. Hashtag sellout. Uh, shill. We, we're all about uh, shilling as much as possible. And uh, you can also have your questions on Discord because... We have the Q&A channel. You should be joining our Discord server. If you haven't joined your dis our Discord server, like literally, what are you doing? Join the Discord. Because if you join the Discord, you can put your questions in the Q&A channel, and then we have this huge queue of questions, and we answer them as we do these shows. But if you want your question moved to the very top, you do the Super Chat. 
otherwise, you also can just ask your question on YouTube, and every now and then we will answer the questions directly on the YouTube feed as well. Lots of different options uh, are available. So there you go. Uh, that's kind of the format that we have uh, for you all this evening. And uh, yeah, anything you'd like to add, Jab, before we get down to it? Um, mm, not really. Uh, let's just get right into it. Let's answer some questions. We're like a month and a half behind where we should be. So uh, let's try only be like a month behind at the very least. So let's start with this first question. This comes from a fellow named Black Final Black Soul, and he says, "Hello, I'm an INTP. How to get TE users to listen to my TI hero without the credentials to back up what I'm talking about? People avoid and occasionally get violent when I offer advice on how to improve their life by giving solutions to their problems." Okay. Well, I mean, if you surround yourself with people constantly who are like, oh, I only make decisions based on the logical fallacy known as appeal to authority, then then you probably should like get new friends and get away from those people. Uh, other than that, uh, from a type standpoint, uh, just not be wrong. Like the truth stands on its own. TI, remember TI, like when you're telling the truth to somebody, that's, it just stands on its own. The problem with TI though is, is that it has its limitations in as much as TE has limitations. TI is an amazing processor and it could process anything, but if it doesn't have the correct output right from the get-go, your entire logical chain could actually be incorrect and will have to be cut off and uh, destroyed and then rebuilt again in different directions. So you have to make sure you have the proper input. It's nice to know that you may have some references and data ahead of time to make sure that your TI uh, logic is making sure that it has the proper input before you begin your logical chain of thinking for TI. However, uh, you can uh, you can come to conclusions on your own based on what data you already have available within your introverted sensing, and uh, obviously the and how it's organized your TE nemesis to be able to utilize your TI hero to uh, you know process through that information, and you can still technically give advice. But I mean, the thing is, too, most people uh, when they're being criticized by somebody or being given advice by somebody, because if you think about it, when someone is giving you advice, you're actually being criticized by them because a person giving you advice is implying that you need to be criticized because you're doing something wrong or you could be doing something better, which means you're technically doing something wrong. And they're actually technically criticizing you when they're offering you advice, basically. Like a lot of people don't understand that. So that's why people uh, subconsciously or unconsciously get insulted when you're offering them advice because they're basically realizing that you think or feel badly about them with their performance in some particular area, right? So based on that, make sure that, uh, it, you know, when you're talking to people, oftentimes people out of their ignorance will basically uh, criticize the man or judge the man and not actually the arguments that they're making. So if you're going to offer arguments to people, expect them not to answer your argument, but ex uh, expect them to dress you down and be like, well, you're not really a quality man. So why do I have to listen to you? And that is consistent. If you're concerned about being a quality man, you need to read uh, this book right here. I got a book uh, in my bookcase. Um, you should be reading uh nor Mr. Nice Guy. If you haven't read Mr. Nice Guy and you're a member of the male gender, like what are you doing with your life? Like seriously, wake up and don't be a bad, uh, don't, do, don't be a bad. So it's just uh, something for you to uh, 
help you uh, not be that man that uh, they criticize and, and hopefully that they would respect you enough to look at your arguments. And the only way that's going to happen is if you like don't have nice guy syndrome, which is what Dr. Glover talks about in that book. So what's next? Okay. Um, next question comes from somebody who I think may be an ISTP and they ask, what books would you recommend for an ISTP? What books would I recommend for an ISTP? Uh, well, I think they might be able to just I got a, book again. I got a bunch out of here. Um, I think a really good book actually that they could read is this one. Um, uh, out of okay, the I fire, like, out of the fire by Paul like Clayton. Yeah, I, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, let me bend over more. You know, like <laughs> I, I think I think that'll be great. Another book uh, for ISTPs to read is Think and Grow Rich. I think that's a very good book uh, for ISTPs to read. Uh, Think and Grow Rich, and uh, King Warrior Magician Lover as well would be another really good one uh, for sure. Uh, Fly Colton Fly. Uh, which is uh, the true story of the barefoot bandit. Uh, I think uh, the, the practicality of that book would actually be really useful to ISTPs for sure. Um, so yeah, that's how I'd answer that. Right, but is there any like specific to ISTPs that you would recommend? Because those just look like general good books, uh, at least to me. Well, I mean, I, I'd say no more Mr. Nice Guy again, and then make sure that you're reading Robert Greene, but I would tell anyone to read Robert Greene. I'd tell anyone to read no more Mr. Nice Guy. It's just ISTPs have this thing where, like, if they're not reading it themselves, they 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 can't, because of their need for instant gratification, because, like, they're an SP, they're very prone to, um, they're very prone to judging books by their cover, right? And that becomes a, a continuous issue, not exactly something that's helpful, right? So I would uh, I would make sure that they at least keep an open mind instead of judging books by their cover and then just going for it. And another thing is too, like I've noticed ISTPs with their TE nemesis constantly looking up, doing the appeal to the authority thing and looking at the credentials of authors first before, so which can be problematic. So basically keep an open mind when you're going to read um, and uh, recognize that just because it's not something you regularly hear about doesn't mean it's not real. You know, there the ISTP need for tangibility is kind of crazy. Um, so what I would recommend ISTPs to focus on are books about intangibility. So books like The Way of the Superior Man or The Alchemist, uh, anything that or Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is probably a really good one specifically for ISTPs that I would definitely recommend. There you go. STPs oh, and STPs and NFJs really benefit from Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance or the Dancing Wulai Masters. That's another one because uh, that talks about uh, metaphysics pretty hard as well. All right. Um, next question uh, I think would be personally relevant to you. Do INTJs make good therapists? Tell me, Chase, am I a good therapist? Uh, do INTJs make good therapists? Like in what context, though? Like which kind of therapist are we talking about, right? Which which one? Which one, Jab? Which which therapist? Uh, like, are you counselor? making? <laughs> are we talking like like a like a a family a family therapist like uh, or a marriage therapist? I mean, I mean, if the INTJ knows type, yeah, that could be really useful and they're really well studied. Sure, why not? INTPs could do any or INTJs could do anything. 
right? They literally can do anything. They can learn and master any skill. And as long as they keep doing that skill, they'll keep their mastery. So, and they can master skills faster than any of the other types, all of them. So based on that, like, why not? Yep. Okay. INTJs are therapists. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Got a super Spike chat. Asks with the super chat. $10. Coin, coin operated job. Yes. <laughs> yes. I need to get myself a paper slot as well for some of these high rollers. Yeah. Anyway, when somebody, <laughs> when somebody is with someone with whom they are madly in love, are they in a different side of their mind? By the way, my name is just pronounced Jordan. Well, thank you, Jordan. Well, what do you think, Chase? Uh, when somebody is someone with whom they are in, madly in love, they are in a different side of their minds. Uh, no. Not necessarily. I, I get how people may think that because I've often talked about the subconscious being um, uh, the side of the mind that is connected to a person's happiness. And I guess if they're like madly in love with somebody that could be they're happy with. But the answer to that question is no, actually no. Because then what what point would there be having romantic compatibility or sexual compatibility? Which, by the way, romantic compatibility and sexual compatibility are two separate compatibilities. They're completely different um, from each other. And... Um, it's just kind of nice to have little redundancies uh, built within our cognition to handle those areas and whatnot. But uh, sometimes those overlap and a lot of times those don't overlap actually. Uh, and then, right. You know, and that's why you end up having cultures where it's okay to, you have your wife, but then you also have your girlfriend on the side and there's a lot of cultures that are okay with that uh, specifically. Uh, right. And that, that's because of, well, we have sexual compatibility needs and we have romantic compatibility needs, et cetera. Well, okay. I mean, you could make the argument, but there is overlap, and it's best to target the uh, the types of people that are able to provide uh, and meet your needs in both areas simultaneously, right? So, uh, yeah. but just because you're manly and love someone does not mean you're like in that specific side of the mind. Uh, you just want to focus on compatibility. So, what are what are the high compatibilities? What are the best romantic compatibilities? Uh, NTJs need to be with NTPs. NFJs need to be with NFPs. Uh, STJs need to be with STPs. Uh, SFJs need to be with SFPs, basically. Um, and, and just focus on those areas, and you'll be really good on the sexual and romantic side. Uh, all bases are covered. If you stay within the confines of those romantic and sexual compatibilities, and you're good to go. And, and it doesn't matter what side of the mind you're in at all, because uh, regardless, your needs are able to be met from their sides of their mind and your sides of the mind. And it just comes together perfectly like a perfectly fit puzzle piece, puzzle, puzzle pieces in a puzzle. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, let's go on to the next question. And that comes from somebody named rising and they asked, Reaper, how can I Reaper says S E K 10. I don't know what S E K oh. means. What, what is that? I think that's Swedish kroners or something. I I am ignorant. Thank you, Reaper, very much. Sorry for Question. being ignorant. I think you got to get back with my ex INTJ then. Well, if you broke up with them, maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. Because I'm guessing there's a reason why. Yeah, I mean, seriously, guys, like, remember, a human being is a Venn diagram, right, of nature, and that's where your type is and your your psychology is. And then you have nurture, right? which that basically means not all INTPs are are the same because, you know, one could be from India and another one could be from Ireland. 
like very different, right? And they have different right. customs and expectations and social rules and social norms, et cetera. You can't just make a straight comparison like that. That's not helpful or useful. Uh, well, I think we made Mr. Nest uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uncomfortable that he couldn't spell joke right. <laughs> yeah, I had to go there. <laughs> What's next? Uh, as I was saying before you cut me off, um, Ryzen asks, how can ITPs balance their conscious, subconscious, shadow, etc.? How can they stay in their sides? Is that what the question is? No, how to balance them. So I think uh, that means not unhealthily being in different sides. How to balance them. So you would want to watch season 16, episode 1, 2, uh, or no, 1, 4, 5, and 8 uh, to actually know the answer to that question because it really gives you a very variety on you know, how to deal with the gateway functions. And the gateway functions are the hero, the inferior, the nemesis, and the demon, the gateway functions. You have to master your gateways so that you can access the other sides of your mind, so you can actually master those sides of your mind to be able to reach maximum integration. So it's easy to reach integration with your hero because that's your first function that you learn uh, you know, as your dominant function, of course, but your inferior function, which is your fourth function, getting over your insecurity, getting over your fears. Um, so if you're an INTP, you're afraid of how other people feel, you have the social anxiety and whatnot, and uh, you just don't really wanna make anyone feel bad and you're very caring. So be caring and be very supportive and, uh, and uh, be okay with failing at it. Being okay, be okay at failing at being supportive. It doesn't mean you're a bad person and you're afraid that other people would feel like you're a bad person, but that fear is keeping you from having relationships with those people that you could actually improve so that you end up realizing that those people really do value you. In order to be integrated, you need to like pull that off. Or don't worry that other people are incompetent or stupid or incapable. And when don't just interrupt what they're doing, let them be who they are and then let them fail and then give them the opportunity to ask you for help or support and be supportive of them. Right. And then the eighth function is, you know, like, Oh yeah, I know that you don't care about how you feel, but you understand what other people value. Why is it a bad thing for you to not value what other people value? You see what I'm saying? So that when you're in your demon, you want to go in that direction. It allows you to, you know, once you have mastery of your subconscious and your unconscious, you can actually use your demon side of your mind in a healthy way instead of a, just a purely destructive way, the superego, because it's a superfluous ego, etc. <clears throat> anyway, um, that's, uh, that's how I'd answer that question. All right. Well, we've got, Three questions which are extremely similar, so I'm going to ask them all at the same time. And this person asks, some inspirational books written by ENTPs or for ENTPs, any suggestions? Also screenplays that focus on ENTP character development. And then the other one, the other two are book recommendations for INFJs and INFPs. So, okay. so ENTP I think books and shows. It's a pretty good ENTP character development if anyone's into the Harry Potter franchise, even though it's technically not Harry Potter. Yeah, uh, the Harry Potter franchise, the Fantastic Beasts uh, movies. Um, uh, Gellert Grindelwald is an ENTP, for example. That would be that would be something. Uh, there's a movie called Ink, I-N-K. It came out in the year 2009. It's really trippy. There's a character, um, 
there's a character in uh, in the movie called Jacob. He's a pathfinder. Uh, very good explanation of expert intuition. Um, you could also look at. Um, I don't. I don't think. Uh, Limitless uh, is not really a good explanation of an ENTP approach, but it's a very NI approach, very introvert intuition. And you can kind of see from like the perspective of someone who has got super high introvert intuition, how to get through and as, as the main character played by Bradley Cooper would explain, you just think your way out of through things, uh, think your way through things um, using introvert intuition. That would be a great example as a comparison to expert intuition. Uh, there's also like, a cup, um, the aviator is a uh, Howard Hughes. He's an ENTP. Uh, Benjamin Franklin. He's an ENTP. So read the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Very useful. Very helpful. Uh, read anything on Howard Hughes or Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, portrayal of Howard Hughes in the uh, the movie The Aviator. Very good uh, look at ENTPs uh, right there. And you know his girlfriend who almost became his wife, uh, Catherine Hepburn, you know, she's an ENTJ woman, uh, as, as portrayed in that movie, for example. Uh, there you can also do Atlas Shrugged. John Galt is, uh, an ENTP as well. I recommend Atlas Shrugged. Um, John Galt's an ENTP. Uh, Dagny Taggart's an ENTJ woman. She's the main character, etc. Uh, so there's a lot of different, uh, ENTP. Um, there's a lot of different, uh, ENTP resources out there that you could definitely uh, check out and understand. Uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, portrayal of Tony Stark, that's an ENTP as well. Um, even though like ENTPs don't really often get into mechanics, but they can get into mechanics when they do, they just dominate mechanics in the same way that an INTP would also dominate mechanics as we've seen like with Nikola Tesla, et cetera. So <clears throat> no, Tesla's not an INTJ. <clears throat> Definitely not. I mean, like yeah. that, that FE inferior was taken advantage of way too many times by like Edison, who is definitely a TE user. <laughs> so. Right. Anyway, um, so the Reaper actually sent in another super chat. However, this time it has a question, so I kind of feel bad about the earlier one he sent because I think maybe there was a question he wrote in the chat that we didn't see. And he wrote, I'm an ESTP and my brother's an INTP. Do you have any tips to improve the relationship? Sure. Uh, stop looking down on your INTP brother as someone who's weak. And if you haven't, if you're not doing that now, great. You probably have likely done that before. Just because they lack awareness of the physical reality that you have, you can't be judging them for that. They'll never have that. That's SE trickster. That would be like him expecting you to behave morally, you know, and you can't have that either. So, stay away from each other's tricksters and have mutual respect for one another. Seek to make him comfortable at all times. Uh, although you can make him uncomfortable, uh, if he's stuck in a rut. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you can just judge him as a weakling because he's stuck in a rut. It's not about that. It's just that his comfort zone or his comfort level is dominating his thinking basically. And he needs to be pulled out of it and you can pull out of it, pull him out of it by, respectfully uh, making him uncomfortable and showing him, you know, the air of his ways in that regard. Uh, the idea is to build up strength in him, but ESTPs have this thing, especially immature ESTPs where they'd rather, you know, like beat the weakness out of people with like their fists in some cases. I'm not saying you're trying to beat your brother, but I have witnessed many ESTPs actually 
you know, get that far with their siblings because they're like, well, I just don't want them to be a wuss, you know, and they have that whole point of view, right? So based on that, uh, also like go to him and be like, hey, what do you think about things? And then also tell him what you want. Tell him what you're going to do before you do it instead of just like randomly surprising him and giving him whiplash uh, because INTPs need to see things coming before they happen. Otherwise, they're not comfortable. And when they're not comfortable around you, the ESTP, they're not going to ever be loyal to you. So if you ever want your brother to be loyal to you and actually be, be supportive of you, especially in old age, for example, or if you really need him to bail you out in a bad situation, because INTVs are pretty intelligent like that, to be that they can bail people out with how supportive they are, you got to make sure that he's loyal to you. And the only way to make sure that he's loyal to you is so that you are giving him a consistent good experience and making sure that uh, he is in a position uh, uh, with that good experience, you know, that he's comfortable. Uh, it's something that he can expect from you regularly, like a pattern of behavior and that he will end up being loyal to you. And you just show him really cool stuff that you're working on and, and you'll be able to have that. And the other thing is too, try to be careful telling him what you want to do or things that you have done because he'll judge you from a distance and say that you're irresponsible with what you want, you know, and that could be a serious problem. Uh, so you might want to be going out of your way that when you do actually make decisions, why not ask him for advice before you make a decision? Be like, Hey, would I, is this something I would want to do? Because they have expert intuition parent and any parent is going to tell you, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. You would definitely want to do that. Do it for sure. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, if you're just going to go make and be impulsive and make decisions on your own, or you're not really sure what you want to do, he's just going to look at you as someone who's weak willed. Whereas you look at him as someone who's like potentially physically weak, right? So that's, that's how you two are at, you're at risk of judging each other in that way. And that could be a problem. Uh, not something I would recommend. Uh, so in order to deal with that, you do the opposite of that. Uh, Tell him, ask him for advice on what you would want to do before you do it so that you can get additional support in that area. Uh, show him things that he's never done before. Uh, kind of grow him and expand his horizons with new things, etc. cetera. Uh, ask him what he thinks and um, don't expect him. Don't just judge him as a weakling. Uh, realize that he actually does have strength because quite frankly, an INTP can outlast an ESTP any day. Like they can outlast, they can have that much more endurance and the ESTP is just going to burn out when the INTP is going to be the last one standing. I mean, I don't care how weak people think INTPs are, they will outlast an ESTP every single time. So, so just be aware of that. Like, uh, both of you approaching each other from the perspective of humility is absolutely necessary because you both have introverted thinking. So just, uh, keep that in mind, et cetera, uh, as you're going through, I think I covered everything. You want to add something to that job? Um, ESTP, INTP relationship. Mm. I mean, part of it's just going to have to come from the fact that, you know, you two are going to realize that, you know, your family, your blood, and any differences you do have in your personalities are nothing in the face of, you know, the fact that your blood, and I think both of you could just, you know, develop a mutual respect, which transcends your type and always have each other's back. And if you have, and, and you know, if you two are those brothers that always have each other's back, you know, that's just going to transcend any of that crap relating to your type. Yeah, definitely.
So we've got another super chat question, and that is, I am an INFP and I'm best friends with an ESTJ. Does this work potentially because we're both mature now? Uh, well, short answer, yes. Long answer is, how do you know you're an INFP and how do you know they're an ESTJ? Like, did how is that being verified? Because uh, typically INFPs and ESTJs trigger each other, but if they were like growing up with each other over a long period of time and got used to each other from a natural standpoint instead of a natural standpoint, uh, you actually can develop a really good high base camaraderie or camaraderie based friendship where you two are able to learn and grow each other from that conflict that just happens to be between each other. It's kind of like the odd couple. Have you ever seen that movie? Um, uh, that, uh, that's a funny movie. Uh, these two guys are polar opposites and they basically troll each other, but they're also best friends simultaneously. It's interesting to see. It's like a nice portrayal of opposites attract, etc. cetera. Uh, so, but yeah, it, it really comes down to the amount of time that you guys have been uh, you know, with each other or near each other in your life, exposed to each other and learning from each other, especially from a nurtural standpoint, because that kind of relationship is very nurtural. It's not really natural. Uh, essentially, because due to the compatibility versus camaraderie uh, approach. Right. Okay. Oh, so yeah. So Jordan says they did grow up with each other. So yeah, that makes sense then. The fact that they grew up with each other, they could do that. Uh, like, for example, Jab, we our friend Titus uh, and his friend uh, Paul. Titus is an ENTJ and Paul is an ISFB. They're polar opposites, but they grew up with each other. And that's why they're friends. That's why they're really close friends because they grew up with each other. Basically, it's it's a neutral relationship, uh, not a natural relationship. So. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, like I was like the suggestion I gave to the INTP ESTP brothers. Like, if you grow up to each other and have this mutual appreciation, appreciation, and have each other's back all the time, you can transcend a lot of this, these incompatibilities. Um. Yeah, let's go on to the next question. Oh, so you answered for ENTPs, but there was also two people who asked basically the same question for INFJs and INFPs. So any book recommendations for INFJs and then INFP? For INFJs, The Way of the Superior Man, hands down. It was written by an INFJ. Uh, also, everything written uh, by Robert Greene. This would apply to both types, honestly, uh, because you I want... Kinda, huh? I kind of... I kind of feel like that you should suggest make a suggestion for women, since both these people are women. So INFJ well, women, art of seduction for sure. For yeah, like that's that's useful for women. Uh, there's an entire section in the way of superior man devoted to women and understanding the dance between the masculine and the feminine. Very useful for women for sure. Right. Okay. Um, well, with that answered. Let's go on to the next, which is which types are most likely to be compulsive buyers, as in people who shop all the time? Compulsive buyers. Uh, that would be FITE users, <laughs> NFPs and SFPs mostly, high FI users, FI parents and heroes. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah. With like childish or inferior to you yeah inferior to e and child to e yeah they got it they, they got it they like up in their status you know <laughs> uh, worried about their reputation and yeah but, but none of them are all that way like um like it also depends on the culture like for example 
we know a certain INFP, you and I, Jab, and uh, they're in a different culture than than typical Western white culture, basically, and uh, their priorities are a little bit different. So there's a lot of cultural, you know, aspects that come into it. Now, if you're going to make an argument versus instant versus delayed gratification, uh, instant gratification would definitely be all over the SFPs for sure because they're all about instant gratification. Uh, but uh, which which means the NTJs could actually exhibit signs of that, but not as much as the SFPs. NFPs, now they can be reserved at first, but they can be conditioned into it. So like say if their partner that they're in a romantic relationship with is a compulsive buyer, their introverted sensing would actually become desensitized uh, to whatever discipline they had for their buying habits. And then they'd let their buying habits go essentially. Right, okay. Um, let's go to the question, which is, what is the difference? Actually, sorry, I, I accidentally skipped one. Which type would be most likely to have PTSD? PTSD? Every type has a chance to have PTSD. Like every single type does. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Now, who could be like the most sensitive to PTSD? Uh, or the most susceptible, kind of mm. like. Uh, Gosh, it's really hard to say. Mm. I don't know. Strong be more susceptible. They remember it not, more easily. No, not necessarily. Though they would be able to remember it more easily, they can also withstand it more. Like so, for example, SI heroes can actually take the most abuse out of all the types. They have the most long suffering, the most endurance, the most stamina, basically mental stamina in that regard they could take the hits uh so not necessarily um ptsd would right. be a problem i i would venture to guess si nemesis uh would be the would be the one uh function that would struggle the most with ptsd uh esfps and estps because uh like anecdotal evidence i i used to know this um estp um like this ESTP who was friends uh, with an ESTP cousin of mine, but between these two ESTPs, he went, uh, his friends uh, of my cousin went into the military and he came back completely screwed up. And then he was in and out of jail a few times and it was just absolutely, it was rough. And he, and he went to war and his friends did die uh, like on the battlefield next to him. And it was very scary for him. And uh, there is a, a lot of loss of life uh, involving that situation uh, in the wars of um, um, the last decade. And uh, it uh, was not ideal uh, at all. So he really struggled with that. And then also there's my, my ex-wife who is an ESFP who suffered trauma in her teenage years, uh, some pretty rough trauma. And uh, she still hasn't been able to cope or deal with that to this day. And it's one of the reasons why her and I ultimately divorced is because of her PTSD, essentially. Right. Well, that's not very good, but, you know, I'm sorry she had to go through that. All right. Well, let's move on to the next question, which is what is the difference between willpower and self-discipline? Okay. Willpower and self-discipline. So willpower is like, I want to do this. Whereas self-discipline is I should do this, basically. Right, or oh, I need to. SI users do what they should, and I users do what they want. It's different. It's what they want to do. It's not about what they should do. 
Whereas SI users, it's the other way around. They don't let themselves really want things. They do what they should do. Now, an SI user could seek out an experience that they want to experience or something they want to taste because they've tasted it before already, sure. Whereas an NI user, they want to have new experiences too, but it's just to have a shared experience with somebody else or to give somebody a taste that that person never has tasted before. That's why NI users are more focused on variety, whereas SI users are focused on doing the same thing over and over again. It's completely different. So, yeah, never ask an ISFJ what they want. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next is uh, book recommendations on depth psychology. Well, if I may chime in. Yes, go to please, please chime. If you go to csjoseph.life and you look right at the top, you'll see multiple uh, tabs. Go to the books tab and it'll take you to a page filled with books. What Chase is reading right now, essential reading psychology, essential yeah. reading self-actualization, essential reading health, uh, psychology, health and fitness, social engineering, entrepreneurship. You've got a lot of sections. You can basically look at anything Chase has recommended in regards to books, with regards to psychology, depth psychology, uh, and whatnot. He's even chucked some health and entrepreneurship in there. So you got everything you need. So csjoseph.life, hit the book tab. I mean, do you want to chime in on that at all? No, I think, you got that, I think you got that pretty covered for sure. Yeah. I hope he doesn't feel cheated that I answered it and not you. <laughs> no, please cheat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question comes from Taj Marie. Oh, I Do thought it comes that? from Edwin Ortiz. I thought it came from Edwin Ortiz in the super chat. Oh, you have a super chat. Sorry, I uh, looked at uh, another page and I missed that. All good. I was opening up the book tab on the CS Joseph Life so I could be amazed at how well organized it was and so that you know people could know about how well organized it is and full of knowledge and depth. Yes, that's, so that's great, Jab. And hopefully one day, you know, they'll be able to buy books so that we have money to buy you a second monitor so you'd be able to see Super Chats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, watch somebody throw $200 in the Super Chat. Buy Jab another monitor. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy Jab a monitor. <laughs> oh, it'll probably happen. <laughs> All right, so the next question is, what do you think about PS P's. being on What? P's. Oh. P-types. What do you think about P's being on ADHD meds, particularly ENFP and ITPs, because of problems starting and sticking to things they want to do? Uh, I think they shouldn't be on ADHD meds. And quite frankly, I think very few people should be on ADHD meds. I think ADD, ADHD is mostly a myth, mostly misdiagnosed because of uh, ignorance of medical science, understanding psychology, basic psychology. Like if you have like a super hyperactive starter type, right, who's an ENFP running around bouncing off the walls and they're so excited about things and whatnot, like that doesn't mean they have ADD. That doesn't mean they have ADHD. That just means they're a starter type. Like how about we stop drugging children based on their interaction style and actually understand children and their interaction styles and respect them instead of drugging them yeah. and trying to make them into SJs because that's effectively what we're trying to do. Or INTPs, like, hey, let's just label every INTP out there autistic. If you, or, or have Asperger's, if you literally look up the definitions uh, of those things, the, the personality type fits those definitions. 
So that's not even, so they're already defining uh, an entire personality type to something that's abnormal. Like, really? Right. Like, why are we like yeah. harming children? Like, we need to stop harming children. And I'm getting tired of it. Like, seriously, they need to stop harming children. Uh, and, you know, let's just drug children if they're different. Yay. No, that's ignorance. I mean, most medical science and psychiatry is based on uh, science from the 1970s. And it's really pathetic that they continue to right. rehash the same information over and over. Gray's Anatomy at 31st edition or whatever, you know, like... <laughs> Right, come on, we need to move on. How about like we teach classes based on PubMed, you know, with actual studies that have been that are current within the last five years? How about have that as like our main source material for medical school instead of something from the 1970s where they still think that cholesterol, high cholesterol causes heart disease, which it doesn't actually. It's triglycerides, but I mean, you right, know. build up of clock and whatnot. Yeah. Like, um, if I yeah, what's up? I actually kind of want to engage Apotheca Bidri because she said they did that to her son and he's not on meds. So how did he turn out? Like, do you have a good happy ending story about how you didn't drug your son and he's actually a very healthy, functional human being, far surpassing all his peers? That's it. That's what I want to hear that's right it. now. That's what I want to hear. No, Jeff and who? I did not say it's a myth. I said it's mostly a myth, which means some people do have it and it is a real thing. But compared to like all the people that are diagnosed versus the people who actually have the uh, the uh, the actual uh, condition, it's actually incorrect. It's wrong. Like it's not accurate. People are misdiagnosed consistently all the time. So that's what I mean by that to uh, clarify Mr. Jeff and who, et cetera. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I just got a message from somebody that said it's actually close to 80% and they cited their source. Thank you uh, for that, Logan. I really appreciate that very much. Uh, I'll definitely take a look at that source later. Um, and Apotheca said he is still little. They still diagnosed him with Asperger's, but they didn't want to out him on meds. I do not recommend that because listen, if you put those mind altering, if you put your children on those mind altering substances, it will actually cause them to transition into their uh, subconscious or their shadow and actually change their personality in an unhealthy way, which will lead to unhealthy uh, psychological behavior uh, in their adolescence, if not adulthood. So be very, very careful. Verify first that your children actually have the condition instead of them just being a Find a label before you give your children mind-altering substances. Verify, verify, verify. If you are not verifying, you're a bad parent, basically. Just because they're wearing white coats and have flashy credentials does not mean you should listen to them. Right. I mean, the amount of doctors I've met who are complete idiots. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I can speak on your behalf. The amount of doctors you've yes. met who are complete <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can literally do that, Jeff. Yes, you can. Uh, we, got, we got a super chat from Sylvie. Uh, All right, uh, I can read it. Um, what kind of marriage do you think a narcissistic ESTP man and a narcissistic ISFJ woman will have? What kind of problems are they going to run into? 
Okay, well, the ISFJ woman is going to judge the ESTP for not having any moral behavior whatsoever and literally label him a bad person and also someone who consistently embarrasses her in public regularly, uh, someone who's too harsh, uh, someone who is a bully. She'll label him a bully consistently uh, as a result, um, and uh, that would be really rough. Uh, he will uh, label her as a prude uh, consistently. Um, and someone who's overly controlling, uh, and someone who's too scared and not a, and too afraid to live life and understand and experience life. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then also, and he's also at risk of telling her she's stupid, which is really rough. That's essentially child abuse. Um, so they're kind of basically <laughs> doing child abuse to each other. Uh, child, when I say child abuse, I mean abusing the third function, the child function, basically. And uh, however, on the plus side, their sex will be absolutely great uh, because they have high sexual compatibility with each other. Uh, and they'll, they're like literally that couple that has this insanely high argument, but then they take it to the bedroom and then everything is magically fixed all of a sudden. Like that's, that's literally, they're getting these super crazy fights and then all of a sudden, you know, they're in the bedroom and uh, there you go, <laughs> you know, uh, magic, that the magic wand, uh, it's, it's called our bed, that fixed everything. Okay, next. But yeah, those are some of the challenges that they would have in their relationship. Is it a relationship that I would recommend? Yeah, I would, it's pretty compatible. Definitely. But the ISFJ has to like not label the ESTP in that way and not expect the ESTP to have moral behavior and allow the ESTP to just tell the truth and be harsh and not like force the ESTP to change their behavior. And conversely, the ESTP needs to spend time listening to the ISFJ instead of just discounting everything she says, because that's like not what you do to ISFJs. You have to listen to what they say um, and uh, and just kind of uh, and help plan things together because both types struggle with plans. Uh, ISFJs, they, they can't make plans, but they need plans in order to handle and ESTPs can make plans, but it stresses them out and they don't want to have to do it all the time. And the ISFJ is asking the ESTP for a plan all the time. And it's really annoying. So just to, just to kind of give you an idea of how it works. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, I was going to respond to something in the chat, but whatever. Um, let's go to the next question, which is um, sorry. Okay, so do you believe in birth order? Birth order first, middle, youngest has an influence on the development of the inferior function of each type, and if so, this is something you may have a lecture on in the future. By the way, thanks for all your lectures thus far. Yes, the answer is yes. Yes, I do believe birth order has some impact on a person's type, and that will be discussed at length in season 17, probably episode two. Uh, so yes, that is coming very soon. I have two more episodes of season 16 left. Uh, I have a episode eight, which will finish it, and then I have a bonus episode nine. And I also have uh, a bit more of season 10 to do, but as soon as 16 is over, we're going right into the 17, and 17 is going to be our best season yet. It's The content is insanely good and we'll be introducing two new methods to use the type grid to type yourself and others accurately on top of the two methods we have, which are interaction styles versus temperaments. We're gonna be adding in quadras. We're also gonna be adding in uh, cognitive axes and how to utilize all four of those methods to navigate the type grid to get an accurate typing for yourself and others uh, in season 17. Right. 
All right, we have gotten another super chat, Mr. Rob Atkinson. Thank you, Rob. We love you. And what? he asks, I am an INTP male married to an INFJ woman. Is it normal I never pick up on her hints? I seem to miss things and get criticized for not caring. Help. Well, she's sounding a little bit informative to me, so are we sure she's an INFJ? Yeah. I, are we really sure she's an INFJ? And because that kind of seems like something an INFP would do because they're very hinty. INFJs, they can, uh, they, they're usually direct. However, uh, having, having been in relationships with INFJs in the past, uh, romantic ones and like really, really close friends, uh, et cetera, they can use their ENFP shadow to get pretty hinty at times. Uh, so, and it really depends on whether or not they're afraid of making you uncomfortable or not. And if they are, they'll they'll not want to give you a bad experience and not risk it. So they're going to go informative mode with their shadow and then get all hinty with you. So uh, uh, Rob Atkinson says not one hundred percent sure. Okay, so let's let's try to let's try to answer the question uh, at both from both angles. Uh, so uh, it's difficult sometimes for the INTP to pick up on things if the INTP has never experienced it before. So if it's like a new kind of hint, like how do you know, right? Here's another thing. An INFJ has a really hard time articulating what they need to an INTP. The reason why is that they have TE Trickster. And TE Trickster makes it very difficult to be remotely aware of what their partner is even thinking or even what's remotely in their head. They're just not aware because an INFJ woman is only aware of what she has in her head. She's not aware of what you have in your head. And she doesn't know how you feel about anything because you have FI demon because you don't care about how you feel because you're an INTP. Hopefully that's actually accurate. So because you don't care about how you feel, she knows that she doesn't have any emotional information, any data hitting her head with that she can utilize to craft her behavior. Because remember, NFJs and STPs, they have to craft their behavior around the other person that they're in a relationship with so that they know how to behave themselves. But if she's not aware of how you feel because you're not aware of how you feel and she can't get that information with her FE parent because you have FI demon, she's got 75 frames a second trying to find that five frames a second, which is not really there. And she can't understand how you feel about anything. Not only that, she's not even aware of how or what you're even thinking at that point. When she's trying to hint at you, she there's no way you'd be able to pick up on it. One, she doesn't know how to communicate with you properly. And two, you don't understand how to receive messages from her. It's a complete communication breakdown just off of your judging functions alone, right? Now, sexually speaking, through your perception functions, you have amazing compatibility and it's a fantastic experience in the bedroom and it's great. And that's an absolute awesome area in your relationship, even how things, how cooking goes and her making you comfortable and whatnot and her always telling you what you want or what she wants and then you know what to do as a result of that and how you can be dutiful to her. Absolutely, that's fantastic. That side of your relationship is just great. But on the decision-making side, the emotional side, she has no idea how you feel. She has no idea what you're even thinking. Therefore, she doesn't even know how to communicate with you. So the only thing that you can do is not be an INTP and expect her to initiate with you at all times. You need to put on your ENTJ mode and seriously take charge in the relationship and actually tell her directly things. You have to communicate with her. I don't think this is good because of X, Y, Z. I don't want this. This is not a good experience for me. I don't feel good about this. And literally pretend to feel. Like change your words. Instead of saying I think about things, 
say what you think, but instead of saying, I think, just say, I feel, I feel this way about this. And then she'll like, listen, because you're not saying, I think, because when you say the word, I think she instantly tunes you out. But if you say the word, I feel she's paying attention. You see just these little tiny hacks in your sentences. If you just change the words, what you're saying, you're engaging their functions and they're actually listening to you. Whereas if you say the other opposite words, they're not listening to you and they just automatically tune you out. So like when someone's telling me, well, I, I'm an ENTP, so I have the benefit of having a TE critic and a TI parent and an FE child. So I, so when it's somebody telling me what they think or feel outside of me, fine, I can, I can deal with that and I can handle it. But uh, when they're trying to do that to me, it doesn't work because I have FI trickster, right? And they just don't understand how I feel about things. They know, and and if they're not mentally capable of understanding what I think because they lack TE, it's not going to work, right? It's the typical NTP NFJ relationship dichotomy. Like that's that's what happens. Super high sexual compatibility, and we have everything in super high perception compatibility, but decision making it's just really broken, and because of that, it really hampers uh, like. Because, uh, for example, NFJs they get super emotionally needy, and you're like, you're always a, they're always, you're always emotionally unavailable to me, and they're telling that to an NTP, and the NTP's like, yeah, because I don't care how I feel, so of course I'm going to be emotionally unavailable. That's like how it works, you know. But they don't understand that because they live in this idealistic dream world where every human being they come into contact with has feelings, and they can't comprehend that a human being may not have feelings. You see. And you're getting in the way of their ideal little world and their ideal little expectations, right? Because they expect that because they think everyone is the same. They think everyone is like them when that's not true at all. So that's the issue. That's the problem. And so, uh, so from a hint standpoint, you need to tell her you need to be direct. You want to have a good relationship with me. You want to have a good marriage with me. You need to be direct. Uh, you know, you have to do this. Like in order to have a good relationship with an NFJ woman as an NTP, you have to tell her to be direct, no beating around the bush. And you have to tell her if you are beating around the bush, you are disrespecting me. And you have to draw that boundary. You have to literally draw that boundary in your marriage as the head of your home, as the husband, you have to tell your wife, you are being disrespectful. If you are beating around the bush, like straight up, that's really the only way to solve this problem. Because then she understands that the expectation and that the standard is for your marriage, that she is to be direct and tell you exactly what she's thinking, exactly how she feels, regardless if it makes you feel uncomfortable or not, regardless if you may get upset or not. Because if she doesn't tell you, that's worse. It's worse when she beats around the bush and doesn't tell you all the information directly. It's way worse. And INTP can't handle that. They need someone direct, but the NFJs, they get afraid. And when they're afraid, they have to beat around the bush. And they think they're being respectful by beating around the bush. When you have to tell them, no, it's the opposite. You're actually disrespecting me when you're beating around the bush, right? You, you have to make that clear because what's happening is she's treating you like an INFP. She's expecting you to behave like an INFP and an INFP would appreciate her beating around the bush. But you're an INTP. You need her to be direct, regardless of how you feel. Because you could take the hits. You have an ESFJ subconscious that's built to take punishment, right? You could take the hits. So you have to tell her it's more disrespectful to not be direct when, she, when what she's potentially saying is going to be disrespectful. Because if she's going to beat around the bush about something that she's going to say that's potentially disrespectful to you, that's a double negative. Whereas 
if she's going to say something potentially disrespectful to you and not beat around the bush and actually be direct about it, that's a negative and a positive thing. So you got to tell her, weigh it out. Are you going to do the double negative like you're doing to me? The two negative things? Or are you going to do the, a positive thing and a negative thing? What's better? Hmm. Oh, the one with positive and negative. You know, so it's a win-lose situation instead of a lose-lose because if she's beating around the bush and telling you something that's potentially disrespectful. That's a lose-lose. Whereas over here, potentially disrespectful, and but she's telling you directly, that's a win-lose. Tell her to go for the win-lose. That's how to solve that hints problem in your relationship. You got to draw that boundary. Right. Okay. We've got another super chat from Mr. Devon, and he says, what do INTJs bring to ENFPs? I don't know if that means what gift do I bring an ENFP woman or what do INTJs bring to ENFPs in a relationship, but I think the latter. Um, INTJ, ENFP relationships, another relationship that I definitely support because NJs should be with NPs. It definitely, NJs need to be with NPs. Uh, and I highly support those relationships as much as possible. Uh, in as much as I would uh, say an NTJ should consider being with an SFJ as well uh, on top of that, on top of just NTPs. Uh, so there's like a total of six possible types that would work from a, a compatibility standpoint. But sexual compatibility versus romantic compatibility skews all of that, so it's like a little bit different. So they kind of branch out after that. But uh, but but we'll get we'll get back to that. So what do INTJs bring to ENFPs? INTJs make ENFPs super comfortable, which is great. Uh, they give them a very good experience in the bedroom. Uh, for one, um, the uh, the ENFPs don't have to guess because the INTJ is very direct about what they want at all times. Uh, and they can, it can come off impulsive, and then the ENFP feels wanted and desired, passionately wanted and sought after. The ENFP just wants to be sought after by the INTJ consistently, uh, and that's uh, one thing that they can bring to them as well. Uh, INTJs uh, give them such a good experience that the ENFP can actually become loyal to the INTJ and actually marionette and do puppeteering of other people in social uh, circles for the INTJ's benefit. Like literally the ENFP's mind controlling for the INTJ. It's pretty cool. Uh, and then and also increase the brand, the personal brand of the INTJ uh, and whatnot, because the ENFP's uh, ability for PR, uh, natural ability for PR uh, in any situation, even a family situation. Think about it, family PR. Yeah, ENFPs are masters at that. Uh, so there's a lot of advantages. There's also a lot of disadvantages. Uh, disadvantages is that the INTJ is not remotely aware of how the ENFP feels. And, and especially if it's an ENFP woman, the ENFP woman can get really, really triggered because they'll constantly accuse the INTJ of being uncaring, which sucks because the INTJ is very caring because they have FI child and they're actually trying to be a good person and do the good thing. But the ENFP consistently is accusing the INTJ of being uncaring. And that's why everyone claims that INTJs lack emotional intelligence entirely, which is not actually true. They have a ton of emotional intelligence because they have FI child. It's just that they don't know how to make others around them feel good. They only know how to make themselves feel good. So it's technically on the ENFP because they have FE critic, because they have the highest FE in the relationship to try to make the INTJ feel better. But that doesn't really happen very often because ENFPs are kind of naturally selfish because they're SIFI users. SIFI users, aka STJs and NFPs, are more selfish than all of the other types. And because of that inherent selfishness inside of them, it, it ends up becoming very difficult, you know? So like, for example, remember FI users, they struggle with selfishness. TI users, they struggle with arrogance, right? So those, the, each type has their own struggle. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but there's like a struggle there, you know? So, uh, 
So just so just be aware of that. Uh, it's it's definitely something um, to think on. Uh, INTJs uh, they can be accused of being uncaring. Uh, the ENFP can be accused of being overly selfish in that, uh, maybe even disloyal. Uh, so you just got to watch out for that as well. But I think that answers that question. Um, okay, next question comes from Max Sargent. Another super chat. All right. Thank you, Thank sir. you Max. Thank, Thank you. you. ENTP found myself an amazing INTJ female. What? Dope. Teacher and all. Dope. George Carlin says he has to take a step back and watch the circus play out to control FE. How do I control FE with this INTJ? Um, so do your duty um, by uh, this INTJ and just make her feel good. Tell her how much, like, be thoughtful. Like, that's like literally it. Be thoughtful towards her. Pay attention. Pay attention to the INTJ. Figure out what she wants and bring it to her. Figure out what she needs. Bring it to her. Be dutiful about it. Notice that that's your duty. Protect her. Protect her future. Like, watch out. If she's going to make a bad decision, be like, uh, yeah, that's a bad decision because of X, Y, Z, and this is what I think about it. You shouldn't do that. Like, why do you feel that's a good thing to do? Like, seriously, don't. You know, I'm not comfortable with that. Be upfront with what you're comfortable about. The only way an INTJ woman is ever going to respect you if you're actually upfront with her about what makes you comfortable and what makes you uncomfortable, even if you come off like some high-maintenance feminine man. You know, because INTJ women need that. Why? Because INTJ women are typically low maintenance masculine women. Think about that. Yeah, ENTP men are actually high maintenance compared to INTJ women, but that's supposed to be. And yet we have these social norms and these nuances and these nurtures that we have where where men who are who have feminine archetypes are told that uh, they're you know, that they have to be masculine or what about those women who have masculine archetypes and they're told by men that they're too emasculating and too intimidating. Most INTJ women out there are really afraid of how intimidating they are to other men, especially when those INTJ women are very successful. Uh, let, like, for example, what if you're like a supermodel INTJ woman who has uh, multiple businesses that are successful and, uh, and then you're basically alone because all the men you are interested in, which are like nerdy, geeky guys are so intimidated by you because, and you're just looking for someone who's brilliant, but they're like, well, uh, I may be brilliant, but I don't have a six pack and I don't have really good career success. You're really intimidating, which can be a problem. Why is that a problem? Because society wise, from like a human nurture standpoint, women, they marry up, but men, Men marry down, and it's very rare for a relationship to work out when the men are marrying up, basically, it's especially in our feminist society. Like, it's a problem. And, and INTJ and ENTJ, NTJ women specifically, struggle with this more than any other type of woman, right? So what, that, so what does that mean? As an ENTP, you need to be okay with that. Don't let your manly pride, especially the pride of your TI parent, get in the way of having a relationship with this woman. Instead, just tell her directly, hey, this makes me comfortable. I'm not comfortable with this. I am comfortable with this. She needs it. Uh, tell her what you think and don't hold back. Don't pull the punches with the woman ever. Never pull punches. Always use TI parent to the fullest, uh, the fullest extent of the criticality is you need to. Just don't tell her she's ugly ever. That would like hurt as an inferior. That's like stupid. Don't do that. So honestly, watch season 16, episode four to make sure that you're doing right by her in that way. Also watch season 16, episode three. Make sure you're doing right by her inner child as well. You're good to go on that side. 
Uh, as for you, you need to be focused on continuous improvement for yourself. Read the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, immediately. Also read uh, A Codependent No More. Um, also read Art of Seduction. Read the section on the coquette uh, for your seductive style because you're an ENTP, so you're automatically a coquette. So you learn coquetry as much as possible. Uh, and uh, stay loyal. And demonstrate your loyalty consistently to this INTJ woman. And if you demonstrate loyalty, you're good to go because she needs to see that you have a pattern of behavior, a consistent pattern of behavior uh, where uh, you're not changing just because she's having a bad day, right? Like, like think about it. Uh, like, if you were going to propose to an INTJ woman, the best day to propose to an INTJ woman is their worst day. Like, when they don't got their makeup figured out, when they've left everything at home, when the car is broken down, when uh, they were late to class, when they're literally batting a thousand and it's just an absolute horrible day, that's the best day to propose to an INTJ woman because it's showing them that you're still loyal to them even on their worst day. That is the key to their heart. Loyalty is everything and not being an idiot is everything. Focus on self-improvement. Do not ever be intimidated by her and always tell her um, what makes you comfortable and take responsibility for meeting your own needs. Uh, make sure you follow your personal standards and that she fits your personal standard of beauty that you would expect from a woman and hold her accountable to that while simultaneously making sure that you better have that area covered in your life. Cause if you don't, that makes you a hypocrite and then make sure that you have personal boundaries that you're enforcing and you don't let her break her boundaries because, or let anyone get break your boundaries because if you don't enforce your boundaries, then how can you meet your needs? You have to have those boundaries up and then know what your personal goals are and don't make your personal goals necessarily about her, make your personal goals, your goals for yourself. INTJs will just help you execute that. You provide the vision for the relationship. The INTJ provides the execution for the relationship. Although you can execute a little bit and she can provide a, a little vision here and there. Those are secondary traits. Primarily, you're Mr. Vision. Primarily, she's Miss Execution. Run your relationship as such and you will have um, success. So when you say, how do I control FE with this INTJ? Based on that foundation I've just laid down for you, well, your concern I could tell about like smothering her or like going after her and uh, like causing her to lose interest in you because you're like overly interested in her because you know you're really super mega interested in her. You know what? It's okay to be super mega interested in INTJ woman. That's okay. However, that can be an issue because of SE demon and you can make her SI demon maybe uncomfortable as a result if you're like too like overtly into it, etc. So what you have to do is learn coquetry. And you can learn that in Art of Seduction by Robert Greene. Read everything about coquetry or the coquette uh, uh, archetype seductive style. And you will have everything that you need to know as a result of reading that book. And that's how I'd answer that question. Okay. Well, we actually had another super chat immediately after that one, which we will go into now. And this comes from Sylvie. Okay. And what she asks is, what kind of problems would an older INTP woman have married to a younger ENTJ man? Say over 10-year difference. Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Um, that INTP woman could view uh, that ENTJ man is irresponsible with what he wants and irresponsible with his decision-making, overly impulsive, lacking delayed uh, gratification, having no uh, self-discipline. That could be an issue. Uh, also, uh, 
the SI child of that INTP woman may be concerned about whether or not she should be loyal to uh, the INTP uh, because uh, what if that, or loyal to the ENTJ, because what if the ENTJ finds interest in some other woman who's uh, younger than her, et cetera, that could be another issue as well. Uh, so uh, basically it's, it's kind of, it, it's very natural. I mean, naturally speaking, that relationship will work out just fine. Uh, but, you know, naturally speaking, because of the insecurities added on to women, because we live in a feminist society, uh, you know, then uh, the INTP woman is like, well, maybe I'm not always going to be worthy enough. Maybe I'm going to make it worse in that situation. Maybe it's an issue. Right. So. Uh, so continue to demonstrate your loyalty. It's very, very important to demonstrate loyalty to the ENTJ because the ENTJ needs loyalty. The ENTJ, if they marry this Ian, this INTP, they take that commitment very seriously. They have SE child, right? It's only when the INTP woman ends up becoming disloyal to the ENTJ that the ENTJ ends up going after other women. But here's the problem. The 10-year-older INTP woman ends up creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, I'm afraid that you're going to want somebody else and not me anymore because I'm 10 years older than you. Okay, and then the ENTJ is like, okay, well, because you're afraid of that, you're only pushing me away because of that fear, which is going to cause me to go after another woman. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The woman is alienating the man in that relationship and actually causing the situation she's trying to avoid because of that fear. So what you have to do as an INTV in that situation is have faith. You have to have faith in your ENTJ and not give up on them no matter what. Because if you don't, if you do that, the ENTJ SE child will always be aware of your diehard loyalty to him, and he will never leave you. He will never abandon you because of that loyalty, because he cannot live without that loyalty. Continue to support him. Continue to make him feel good. While you're at it, read The Art of Seduction uh, to spice up things in the bedroom uh, in this for this relationship. Also, if you haven't done it already, go to Season 13 playlist on this YouTube channel. Watch the video called Queen Archetype. It is the most controversial uh, video uh, on uh, this channel, extremely controversial. I think I get labeled a misogynist and a uh, chauvinist at least once a week, uh, maybe twice a week because of that episode. But season 13, the queen archetype episode, what is the mature feminine queen archetype? Watch that, do everything it says. And uh, and then uh, you will be able to, while and as a result of doing those things, you're actually demonstrating loyalty to your ENTJ and your ENTJ will love the loyalty and need that loyalty. And you're also valuing the, uh, you're validating the ENTJ and, and supporting and caring for ENTJ by increasing your beauty, essentially. And that's what I would recommend uh, in that situation um, because those problems would manifest. Uh, because that self-fulfilling prophecy, that's the biggest risk that could happen to that relationship with such an age gap and those types with the INTP being, um, being the um, being the woman in that situation 10 years over, right? Um, definitely uh, the self-fulfilling prophecy because of that blatant insecurity within women. It's just, it's just there. It's neutral. There's not much we can do about it. So that's how I'd answer that question to Sylvie. Right. Um, so we actually got another super chat. Oh, we did. Cool. <clears throat> yeah. And this comes from Dam Taru. And he says... How can an ISTP develop weak SE when they are crappy at physical work, don't like playing sports, 
nothing to do outside, and avoids bars, clubs, drugs like the plague. Is that an ISTP? Are you sure it's not? How can an INTP develop weak SE? ISTP, it says. Yeah, it says ISTP. Well, I mean, this, here's the thing. ISTP's job, they're like, they're very sensual people. So they want to do things that are sensual. I don't know of ISTPs that avoid bars, clubs, um, and, and playing sports. And, you know, I mean, sure, there's some ISTPs who are crappy at doing physical work because they were in a family where they were cognitively transitioned into their shadow or their subconscious, or maybe their parents thought they had ADD and ADHD when they didn't. They put them on mind-altering drugs which caused uh, mind-altering substances, which caused additional damage uh, and whatnot that kind of screwed up the perception functions. Okay, sure, that could be a thing. But is it possible that he's actually an INTP and not an ISTP? I, I just have to ask the question. Um, definitely, definitely can ask the question. However, Mantis K did say, I as an ISTP can relate. So fair enough, we'll answer the question as is. Uh, so an ISTP with SE, to develop SE parent. Basically, uh, you want to make sure that you're wanting the right things. Uh, SE Parent is all about trying to be responsible with giving others a good experience uh, and being responsible. You have to get trained. You have to, do, you have to train yourself. Train yourself and shoot for perfection. The kind of perfection, not, not like absolutely being perfect, but the kind of perfection, at least being good enough, idealistic enough to be able to teach other people a skill. So, so what you do to increase your SE for SE Parent is... Pick a skill, any skill. It could be woodworking. It could be metal shop. It doesn't matter. Uh, metalworking, uh, blacksmithing. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, martial guns, arts. Martial arts. Yeah, ISCPs and martial arts. That's that's a normal thing. A Brazilian jiu-jitsu or whatever. But learn a skill. Learn a skill so much with the intention that you're going to teach other people the skill. That is how you develop SE parent. Is by learning a skill. It could be any skill. It doesn't matter if it's mechanical or not. And then you're doing it from the point of view that you're going to eventually confer that knowledge upon other people. Uh, a book that I would recommend to read about this process is a book called Mastery by Robert Greene, G-R-E-E-N-E. -E. Robert Greene wrote Mastery, and uh, it's all about SE Parent, uh, that book, and, and, how to and how to develop uh, parent functions. I highly, highly recommend it. So please do that. Read that book in conjunction, but honestly, just pick a skill. Uh, just simply pick a skill and uh, uh, learn it such that you are able to teach it to somebody else. That's how you develop SE Parent because what it does is it engages uh, your ENJ subconscious uh, to be able to teach that or direct that into another person. Same applies to ISFPs. Pick a skill, any skill, learn it such that you can teach it to others. Um, like for example, this painting right here came from uh, a member of this audience and it's a black lotus. It's a uh, black lotus from like Magic the Gathering. And uh, it's, in, uh, it's, it's growing uh, in the bayou uh, near her home in New Orleans, et cetera. And that's where the black lotus is growing uh, and it's glowing in the night uh, within the, the, the misty swamp, et cetera. But uh, they've been painting for around 30 years and they have developed this amazing skill and they focused on one skill, not many skills, but one skill and they reached mastery with it and they could definitely teach other people 
how to do that. And in fact, they have YouTube videos up of them showing other people and talking about painting, et cetera, right? So you want to focus on one skill, learn it, master it, and get it to a point where you can teach other people. That's how best develop SE Parent for sure. And then SE Parent responsibility will start to bleed into other areas of your life and you'll be able to take advantage of that SE Parent for those other areas for your life uh, as needed. Right. That sounds pretty good. We actually got a another super chat question from Zen Moods, and he awesome. asks, "How do you encourage or force an INTJ into action if they're suffering from depression, so they can achieve their goals and ignore any mental obstacles? Putting themselves first is also a problem." Well, get them to read "No More Mr. Nice Guy" if they're a male, <laughs> for for one. Uh, yeah, I, INTJs can become insanely unmotivated or they'll procrastinate to the last minute and then when they're working under pressure, they can make magic happen. Uh, basically, uh, it's it comes from a lack of pressure. They need pressure. So take their support structure away from them, basically. You take the support structure away from the INTJ and all of a sudden they're motivated to make things work. That's as simple as I can answer that question. Take away the support structure. Um, even, if it means, right. even if it means they'll go hungry. Take it away from them. That's why, uh, you know, you often hear about children being uh, kicked out of their homes when they turn 18 because you're just taking away that support structure. Great. You're grown. Uh, get out of the tree. Bye. You know, just like birds throw their children off the branch and that they better fly if they're going to survive. But they do because it's that or death. Right. So the uh, same kind of approach. Uh, INTJ will want to change and it won't. Th their depression won't matter. Because remember, where does that depression come from? Parents oftentimes when they're raising their children or asking their children, oh, you know, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then they're trying different majors and colleges. They get really depressed because they're not finding anything. They don't know what they're interested in because they don't know themselves. They're racking up debt. They become depressed about it because they don't understand their career. They're super unmotivated and depressed and they wasted all that time. They don't know what they want to do, et cetera. When in reality, what their parents should have done is ask their children, hey, what are you going to do to meet your own needs when I am no longer going to be meeting your needs at 18? When you turn 18, I ain't meeting your needs anymore. What are you going to do about it? That's what the parents should be asking at 10 years old. Right? Right. So when that happens, you know, if that's actually what's happening, then the INTJ doesn't matter if the INTJ is depressed anymore because the INTJ is then – confronted with the fact that they need to be taking responsibility to meet their own needs because if they are not producing more than they consume, they're a man child. They are immature, right? Mm -hmm. So they need to be mature and make sure that they are producing more than they consume. Okay. Right. So, and then as a result of that, they are motivated not because they're depressed because when they're, they're depressed because they have a choice, right? Yeah. See, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about at all. What, what needs to happen is that they, they don't have necessarily a choice because the choice is I need to meet my own needs. It's not about depression anymore, you see? See, people think depression is a thing, but it's more like, no, you need to meet your own needs. Yes, depression can get in the way of people meeting their own needs, and that's a serious problem. But again, like, if they're depressed, I mean, I've been depressed a long time, and I still execute and get things done. I'm still productive because I have to meet my needs. I have needs, other people's needs I have to meet too, 
right? I have to be responsible. It's not about me. It's like you're watching that movie, Mary Poppins, right? And the two children cause a run on the bank uh, with their dad, Mr. Banks, and they run off scared into the city and in, into London and freak out. And then they come across Bert, who just happens to be a chimney sweep, played by uh, Dick Van Dyke, you know? Uh, and uh, Dick <laughs> Van Dyke, as Bert explains to the children, you know, who do you have? You have, you have each other, you support each other. You have your mother who supports you. You have the servants at your house that support you, you know, and, uh, and your mother has you and, and the servants and you all have each other. Uh, and who does your dad have? Nobody. He doesn't have anybody because he's focusing on leading the family. He's focusing on providing for the family, producing more than he consumes, being responsible, taking responsibility for meeting his own needs and the needs of others. So what business do you have being in a relationship with somebody, for example, if you can't love your neighbor as yourself? What business do you have trying to love somebody else when you can't even take yourself, take care of yourself, right? When you can't even love yourself appropriately, right? So that's why it's love your neighbor as you love yourself, which means it implies responsible selfishness. So based on that, the INTJ needs to be confronted with, they need to be taking care of their own needs. It's not about whether or not they're depressed or not because they shouldn't even have a choice to be depressed because it's all about them meeting their own needs because they need to meet their needs to survive. You see, so rip out the support structure out from the INTJ and you'll see immediate change. They'll make it work. And I hear it will always prevail. Right. Okay. Well, on that note, we actually have a, another super chat. So uh, keep it up, ladies and gents. Dope. Thank um, you. C CSJ, how is your oh, – so this is from Devin again. Devin, good man. Well, Thank you. I think he's done it in the past. Not sure if he's done it today, but I remember the name. CSJ, how is your understanding of MBTI structure due to your personal perspective as an ENTP? How is your understanding limited by your perspective? Okay. So my understanding of the MBTI is, is that the MBTI is worthless and it's just a test and I will have nothing to do with the MBTI test. <laughs> yeah. Like this is Jungian analytical psychology. That's what this is. This is not, yeah, yeah or depth psychology or depth typology, whatever you want to call it. There's like so many different names, but this is not the MBTI. The MBTI is just one person's or a group of persons interpretation of the science. And I do not subscribe to their interpretation of the science whatsoever. However, I just happened to talk about the arch the 16 archetypes with the, I with the MBTI letters, just because of the branding, they have good marketing. And from Hashtag SEO. exactly, it's just for SEO purposes. If I didn't have to talk about the archetypes with SEO uh, and not care about SEO and making sure that I'm getting the most views and the most subscribers as a result of running this business, I wouldn't use them because I could care less. The MBTI is nothing more than a test. That's all it is. It's just a test. I don't care about the MBTI. It's just one interpretation that's mostly wrong. But of course, then again, Linda Behrens, she's great for interaction styles and temperaments. Is she great for cognitive functions? No. John Beebe, Dr. John Beebe, is he great for interaction styles and temperaments? No, but he's great with cognitive functions. So I go through all of the different sources and all the different materials and all the different psychologists throughout the uh, Jungian analytical psychology blogosphere and readosphere and bookosphere and whatever sphere there is, whatever sphere of influence right. there is. And I take the things that are true because I process them with TI parents and link them together with my any hero as an ENTP. And then we end up seeing what really works and what really doesn't. 
And then we just have this master Rubik's cube, this magic Rubik's cube that we could change whatever combination we want to get the ultimate outcome. Yay. For whatever human interaction we want. Yay. You know, so that's what we end up doing, right? Well, okay, great. But here's the issue with that. You know, how is, how is your understanding limited by your perspective? Well, it's limited by the fact that I don't subscribe to any one school of thought. I subscribe to the school of thought of, oh, that's correct. That's not correct. Throw out the not correct. Keep the correct. That's that's how my perspective is limited as an ENTP. And that's how I'd answer that question. All right. Well, we've got another super chat. Apparently, people love us today. Oh, holy smokes. Uh, yeah. Lorenzo asks, what is the difference between FI critic and FI child? Ah, the difference between FI critic and child is the difference between a grandfather and a grandson, basically. Oh, the Reaper said you missed my super chat. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh. oh, right. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Should we do him first or should you just answer that one? <laughs> uh, we'll go back to the Reaper as soon as that one. This is where we do Lorenzo's. Go back to Reapers. All right. So, okay. So we're doing Lorenzo's. Yeah, we'll do Lorenzo's. Difference between FI critic and FI child, since I already said that, it's basically a grandfather to a grandson. Uh, FI critic is supposed to be wise, whereas the FI child is innocent, divine, but is still a kid, right? Right. FI child knows how it vows itself and how it feels, but it's it's kind of doing it divinely like a kid. It's not going to get in the way of... Uh, it's not necessarily something that's going to be sinister, although it can come off as selfish. It's not necessarily mean that the intention behind it is actually to be selfish. They're trying to actually be as good as possible from a divine perspective. That's why it's called the divine child. That child is like a kid getting through a minefield and somehow it always survives. It never gets, and mind never explodes because of that divine luck that's given to the, the child function. Whereas the critic function is different. FI critic can create this insane ideal that uh, hypocritically speaking, the FI critic, that whoever has FI critic, they have this insanely high sense of idealism that they themselves can't even meet. They can't even meet their own high moral standards, basically. So that's kind of different. So a divine moral standard through the FI child versus a, a, a moral standard that is focusing on obtaining perfection that the user can't even obtain themselves because they themselves are not perfect, even though they have the perfect moral standard, basically. So that's FI critic, which is a critic being critical towards morals, where they want to be the absolute best, highest standard of moral behavior. Whereas the FI child is just trying to be moral from the from like a little kid, innocent, divine, etc. And that's how I'd answer that question. All right. Well, let's go back to the Reaper who asks, should an ESTP sleep around? Is it good or bad? Which I reckon Chase's response is going to be, do you have a job? Do you have your own place? Do you have a do you have transportation? Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Am I right? I uh yes. Uh, basically um if you're a member of the male gender in the species known as human beings, Homo sapiens, etc., uh, you should not be having sex with anybody unless you have your own car, your own job, and your own home. Because if you are not producing more than you consume you have no right to be having sex with anybody. Like, I'm sorry, that's a standard. Don't believe me? You should watch season four 
uh, go to the season four playlist, how do intimate relationships actually work? And you'll understand the standards. Uh, now, if you do have those things, you should definitely consider having sex. I recommend you have sex, uh, definitely, if you have those things met. Uh, now, should ESTP sleep around? No. So go to go to season seven. Watch the ESTP virtue and bias, chastity versus nymphomania, basically. Nymphomania happens because the ESTP doesn't know what they want. They're like, well, I'm just going to try every woman in the world until I find what they want. And then they realize that 20 women ago, they already found the one that they really wanted. And that one woman's been waiting for them this entire time. And they probably wasted three years. You know what I mean? It's just such a waste, right? Like, seriously, don't do that. Now, if you're a polyamorist and not, you know, uh, and not really interested in living the mono life, then you should probably read the book called Sex at Dawn, which I think I actually, I think I might actually have a copy of that somewhere. Oh, look, I do. Read this <laughs> book. Read this book if you're an ESTP. I highly recommend it. In fact, the largest uh, polyamorous network, I believe, is actually in Seattle. And I think it like takes up, what, 81 to 89% of all Seattle is this one polyamorous network. It's insane. Uh, but polyamory is actually making a huge comeback in our culture, especially since, socially speaking, our culture is getting away from uh, the traditional nuclear family. The reason for this is because the dollar uh, and, and uh, fiat currency around the world is actually being devalued because they're printing money consistently and devaluing uh, our currency, which basically means our dollar is not worth as much, doesn't have as much uh, buying power as it used to have. Why is this relevant? Well, it's relevant because it used to be one man could have one job and that's enough income for an entire family. Now you have to have more than two adults basically because two minimum wage jobs is not enough on two adults is not enough to even pay the expenses nowadays it's not enough to pay rent so you actually are you need to live off 2.5 uh jobs to be able maybe even three jobs to be able to live typically which means naturally over time as our currency gets devalued people are creating group homes and they're having polyamorous relationships inside of group homes where you have multiple adults say for example four men and three women or four women and three men they all have shared sexual relationships they have primary and secondary lovers etc they also have shared parental responsibility right and that's, you know, and this, this is, this goes towards Christopher Ryan's uh, research in that book, Sex at Dawn, et cetera, where he basically proves that human beings are more like bonobos and not actually like chimpanzees. And we, even though we have these same uh, genetic uh, uh, attachments or similarities to both species of primates, et cetera. So uh, like socially speaking, we're more closer to the social structure of bonobos than we are actually chimpanzees, uh, which for some reason people have assumed and he actually proves that that's not actually true in his anthropological study sex at dawn which i recommend uh so why is that necessary uh estps it's better to be chased if you if you're going to live a mono lifestyle which is fine it's perfectly fine i recommend a mono lifestyle sure go for it uh if you're gonna live a mono lifestyle then uh definitely be chased and just find an stj woman and you'll be happy and you don't have to like sleep around like i don't recommend it seriously watch the episode in season seven which is virtue and vice for estps i think it's like episode two season seven episode two i believe and watch uh, what is the virtue and vice of ESTPs and do what it says. Also watch season four here on this YouTube channel. How do intimate relationships actually work and literally do what that says. While you're at it, watch season six and 13 to go with it. Those are the human nurture episodes. Uh, 
and then find yourself an STJ woman and just be happy if you're going to be mono. Great. If you're going to be poly, find yourself an STJ woman, have a poly relationship, make her your primary, and then just collect secondaries as needed. Just understand that you can have secondary lovers only with the permission of everybody else that you're involved with. Because a polyamorous relationship is not just you going out and having sexual relationships with everyone willy-nilly. There's a hierarchy and everyone has to have give, be giving permission. And if one person in the people that you're with is not giving you permission and you're not giving them permission, then that's it. It's a veto. You have to respect the veto. Otherwise, you're not being true poly. And I'm not advocating for polygamy. I'm actually against polygamy because polygamy is just someone being married to multiple wives, et cetera. It's not the same as polyamory. I'm against polygamy. Like that's also like, you know, illegal. I don't recommend that. And if, if you want to get legalities figured out, there's a lot of polyamorous people out there who have like like group homes, et cetera, set up that they use like trusts and legal uh, entities to handle assets and those types of relationships, et cetera. But that's literally how that works, right? So read Sex at Dawn, watch uh, season seven, episode two, uh, Virtue Advice for ESTPs and watch season four, six and 13. You'll have all the information that you need right there. Uh, so understand that you should not be sleeping around. Just find an STJ woman. You're good to go. And then figure out if you want to be mono or poly after that, and then live your life accordingly. And that's what I'd recommend for you, Mr. Reaper. Wow. That was a very interesting transition. I guess we should uh, go back to the questions now. So let's see where we are up to. Wow. I've been sitting on this question for like <laughs> 20 to 30 minutes. All right, advice for an ISFP entrepreneur. Yes, I love that question. That's it? Okay. So uh, ISFP entrepreneur. CSJoseph.life, click the book section. There's an entrepreneur section. Buy all the books in there. Nice job. Nice, nice. The, the coin slot's working tonight, I can tell. Exactly. <laughs> oh, wow, that, that echoes pretty rough. Uh, okay. So... Uh, how to answer that question. So uh, ISFPs, here's the thing about ISFPs. They have to really like what they're doing. Like it has to speak the, to them. It has to have all the meaning in the world, like painting, for example, or, um, or uh, I think it's uh, uh, Charles Benson. I, I think I got his name right. He's an ISFP who watches this channel regularly. He's actually like a leader of a band or, or he was at least. It just has to absolutely speak to you, uh, what you're doing. And you have to have full creative freedom as an entrepreneur. And then just get people to support you. That's it. You just need supportive people to handle the paperwork that you don't need to handle uh, You know, while you're, you're focusing on creative and be all about creative. Uh, my brother-in-law, he's, he's an ISFP and he's an entrepreneur. He has a media company. He does great work. He does amazing work with the GoPro. Unbelievable. And quite frankly, I actually look up to him okay. in a lot of ways uh, because of uh, what he's been able to do with that company. And he's able to outsource a lot of the things that he doesn't have the skills to do. And he relies on those things. And then he has a bunch of subcontractors, et cetera, that work for him. And he handles the main contracts. He takes um, he takes control of the situation with his ENTJ subconscious and, and kind of leads that group uh, while never make, doing something that he doesn't like doing. He never puts himself in a position where he doesn't have creative freedom or he's not free to do what he wants. It's all about what he wants, what he feels like he should do, or what, what he feels like he wants to do, 
and telling other people what they should do and what they should be thinking in order to be successful. Basically, find people, create an executive team, delegate to them where, where necessary, while you, the ISFB, handle the creative uh, flow, become the creative director, basically, and direct where as needed or outsource skills that you don't have, et cetera. That's what I'd recommend as an ISFB entrepreneur. And there are tons of them out there who are super successful in media, in music, in painting, in marketing, even public relations in some cases, um, because it's all about making an art out of it. Make your business your art. And that's that's the best advice I could give to an ISFP entrepreneur, for sure. Perfect. Apparently, I missed a super chat question, and I think I found it. And this comes from Edwin Ortiz, and he asks, how do I convince my INTP to believe in typology? I think it could help him beat his depression with apathy but how do I get him to engage with it? Uh, tell him that he has no choice but to engage with it or something bad will happen. Like literally. <laughs> you have to force the issue. Uh, you can't just make an INTP want something. They have anti critic. You have to make them do it against their will. It's not about what they want. It's about what they should do and just tell them that they should do it. Tell them to their face. If you don't do this, then I'm not going to want to do this for you or I'm not going to want to be with you or I'm not going to want, you know, like you're, you may have to give an ultimatum. If it really is that important to you, if it really, really is that important to you, then you're just going to have to tell them that they should. But of course, there's a chance they may not be an INTP. So, I mean, that could be it. But if they really are an INTP, you just kind of tell them, you don't have a choice. You have to learn this. You have to do this. If you want to, uh, if you want to have a good relationship uh, with this INTP, like, hey, you have to do this. In order for us to have a good, healthy relationship, which is what I want for us both, you have to do this. Tell him it's all about what you want and that you feel good about it. And you don't feel good about him not doing it for you and that uh, he should do it. He owes you that much consistently because you give him a good experience and he is supposed to be loyal to you. And him not doing it is a sign of disloyalty. Call in the question his loyalty. Call in the question his support and him not being supportive. Uh, and, uh, call and tell him that's not what you want, basically. Hit all those functions in that manner. And then he should capitulate. If he doesn't capitulate, then I would recommend potentially maybe seeking out a different relationship uh, in, in that situation for sure. And that's how I'd answer that question. Perfect. So if we, let me just double check. We don't have another super chat. And it looks like we're good so far. So this question is advice for an INTJ slash ISFJ communication in a dating relationship, especially regarding potential inferior function, fear slash insecurity. Jabba, please give me some wisdom too. Oof. There you go, Jab. Let's see, you want me to start off? Yep, start it off. All right. Hmm. All right, well, let's see. Okay, well, who's the INTJ and who's the ISFJ? Because I think gender might matter. What's the gender of the asker and the type? Uh, can't tell. Name is Mon Mon. Maybe the asker's a girl. Since she put INTJ first, maybe the INTJ's a girl. Okay. Okay. So my guess would be... Uh, so you've got the SESI relationship, so the I. And TJ will have to make, work hard to make the ISFJ comfortable. But that would, in effect, come 
you know, in the bedroom and whatnot, and the INTJ would actually have to work really hard to engage that ESFP subconscious. So I think what the ISFJ would need to do is avoid, you know, pushing away the INTJ when they're trying to give them a good experience. So if the INTJ is making an advance, don't tell them to piss off. That's not going to go down well. Um, so you've got the FE parent, FI child relationship. I mean, that should work fine. TE parent, TI child relationship should work fine. Um, I think potentially, yeah, you've got the problem of the any inferior coming into play and questioning what the INTJ wants all the time. And I know personally if someone's questioning what I want all the time, it makes me think that they're projecting, which is going to trigger my any nemesis as an INTJ. So I think the ISFJ needs to get that in check. Um, what do you think, Chase? I think... Uh... I think it really comes down to fear that that relationship right. can be, it can be really dominated by fear because the INTJ could see the ISFJ as someone who's like overly sensitive. The, uh, right. and, uh, the ISFJ, uh, could view the INTJ as someone who's too impulsive and they could be afraid of that person being, uh, too impulsive, etc., uh, which can be a problem. Uh, so they'll label each other as too sensitive. You're overly sensitive or, you know, you're, you're too impulsive or you lack discipline, like those types of things. They just need to stay away from the labeling and actually understand each other and understand each other's functions, et cetera. Uh, right. so, so based on that, it's really important, uh, to understand, you know, how that works. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's important. Like, Always state what you're going to do before you do it to the ISFJ because they're going to be afraid if you don't. Uh, right. And, Always and, tell them what you and, want. And conversely, the ISFJ needs to tell the INTJ, you know, what would make them comfortable and be upfront about it. And they have to initiate yeah. with each other. But it's really hard. The two introverts are both responding. They're expecting the other person to initiate, which like provides even additional issues. You know, not something I would recommend either. So uh, just just based on that, like really understand that that's what you need to do to make that relationship work out. It could be fear-based. Yeah. You have to eliminate the fear. The only way to eliminate the fear is to communicate. And you have to say what makes you comfortable ahead of time or on the other side has to say like what I'm going to do before I do it. You have to provide a forewarning. Hey, I'm going to make this decision. There you go. And that mm -hmm. gives, and then the ISFJ needs to be listened to, but the INTJ is going to listen. And the uh, ISFJ is going to continue to make uh, the, you know, the INTJ feel good as, as a result. And it could work out. But again, it just comes down to communication to eliminate that fear because fear could be on either side. And the only way to eliminate that fear is you have to illuminate things by communicating and telling those things as to what's actually going to happen, et cetera. Um, yeah. So um, I would like to point out, though, uh, this is unrelated, job because that's how I'd answer that question. Uh, Leslie Min Miller in the uh, YouTube chat said, quote, you recommend breaking up with someone that doesn't accept typology as real. Did I just hear that correctly? To which I respond, no, you did not hear that correctly. I said that if it's really important to Mr. Edwin uh, to use an ultimatum based on the importance 
So it's all about importance. I'm not saying that it's okay for you to break up with somebody if they don't accept typology. That's not what I said. Like she's probably like an NFP who is hearing, <laughs> who's hearing things through her filter and not actually what I said. Uh, so uh, if that's the case, uh, Leslie Miller, I appreciate your comment, but understand that I'm not saying that based off of someone like not, uh, you know, accepting typology, you should break up with them. He should break up with that person if that person is being disrespectful and choosing not to change because it's not about typology. He's trying to get the INTP to understand typology specifically so that they can have a better relationship. Or what if their relationship has a problem right now and maybe typology could be the solution to that problem, but that INTP is not willing to go towards that solution, right? Probably because they're stuck in the rut in their comfort zone or they have TE nemesis and they're having a closed mind about it, which means it's not about typology. It just means that they're probably not a healthy person to be in a relationship with, which would then give Edwin license to actually put forth an ultimatum, logically speaking. So please don't jump to conclusions and understand what it was I was trying to say, because that's not what I was trying to say based on how you formulated it. But I appreciate your concern anyway, because it gave me the opportunity to clarify in case anyone else in the audience had similar questions. So thank you. Oh, right. Super chat. Um, do you think we've answered that question so far? I mean, communication is a big deal. Just be direct about, you know, what makes you comfortable and for the INTJ, what your intentions are. Um, also, I think if you both really, really wanted to make that relationship work and be healthy, I think both parties would have to work on developing their subconscious. Yeah. And we've like, we got that's going to be a big part. Yeah, fair enough. And also, like, YouTube's doing this thing where it's not alerting us to super chats right now. I think it might, might be broken. So I'm having to re-scroll through everything. So I think we have three super chats up right now, Jeb. Yeah, let's I get think through the most, Max the oldest one that, goes, that is from Max. Yeah, yeah let's, let's do Max. So recent, yeah, recently got an embedded engineering job working for an ENTJ. Any general advice for how to go about my job or potential pitfalls on the ENFP's end? So is this person an ENFP working for an I, ENTJ? I think it's an ENFP working for an ENTJ. I think that's how this question okay. is. Max, please clarify if that's not the case in the chat right now, if you're listening. Uh, but let, let's do this. Uh, so you need to demonstrate loyalty to the ENTJ. You also have to make sure that you're not outshining the master. If you don't know what that means, read Law, Law of Power 1 and 48 Laws of Power. Super important for ENFPs with ENTJs. Mm -hmm. Mega important. Because ENFPs are all about their status and how they feel. And they can kind of come off as selfish and depraved sometimes, even though they're actually trying Absolutely. to be charitable, et cetera, which can end up causing the ENTJ to like not be generous in your direction and actually look at replacing you regardless of how awesome at sales skill that you have or, or in engineering, et cetera. Although I don't know what embedded engineering is, so I apologize. It might have something to do with superconductors. I, I have no idea. I'm assuming there. And I, have no I mean, but I, I can personally vouch for don't outshine the master. You don't know how many jobs I've lost for being too good. <laughs> that is true. Jab, you have lost a yeah. lot of jobs uh, over being too good. That's true. Yep. Don't outshine the master. Uh, and, uh, and really ENFPs don't make it about how you feel, make it about how the ENTJ feels. You have to make sure that the ENTJ self-worth in that situation is more important than your own self-worth. Like literally use your FE critic, be wise and understand that in that situation, their FI inferior is way more important than your FI parent. 
And that's just how it is. When you're around them, they're important, not you. And keep that perspective up when you're in that situation. And you won't actually lose that job, right? Uh, very, very important. Um, is you want anything to add to that, Jad, or do, we, do you think we got that one pretty good? Yeah, I mean, there's actually a lot of natural compatibility in between ENFPs and ENTJs. It's, yeah, I mean, the big thing, well, I mean, I'm not an ENTJ, but an INTJ is pretty close, just parent and nemesis, sorry, parent, hero, child, and inferior and whatnot are flipped. But I would say the thing that does irk me about ENFPs when they do annoy me is when they think they're better than me. So don't, don't, don't go into that situation with the attitude that, you're better than your boss, um, whether that be intellectually or, you know, from a Felix FI standpoint. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Because if you do, you're going to trigger the, uh, what's that, the FE demon. So don't do that. Um, and, yeah, just be loyal. The only problems I've had with ENFPs in my past is, them thinking they're better than me and um, them being disloyal. So as long as you don't really do those two things, I think an NTJ would be very happy having you on the team. Yeah, definitely. Like it, it really is necessary because the ENFP can really provide that rational vision for the ENTJ to follow. And ENTJs really appreciate that. And they, and they're kind of endeared to the TE child, you know, they have TE hero while they'll see you as childish. The vision that you provide, it's like, wow, that guy actually does know what he's talking about because you're able the ENFP is able to predict the future, you know, which is really necessary. Uh, Jab, I'm going to read the next super chat um, because it's kind of a little complicated. You sure you don't want me to do it? <laughs> All right, you can't. I found it. All right, so. Rob Allender. We got a really interesting one from Rob Allender. All right, cool, yeah. Sounds like the story of mine and Chase's life. Oh, yeah. Gay ENTP trying to seduce INTJ. Full <laughs> Q in the chat. Okay. Now, what he says is, gay ENTP trying to build a relationship with a gay INTJ, but sex is challenging between us as we're both seemingly too considerate. Mm. Would reading No More Mr. Nice Guy together be a good idea? Would the coquette seduction archetype fit this dynamic? If not that archetype, then what? Okay. Wow. That's a great question. Uh, so, yes, definitely read Nor Mr. Nice Guy together. Yes, yes, yes. I cannot stress that enough. And Dr. Robert Glover actually has, uh, he speaks often about homosexual relationships, and it's extremely useful. I highly, highly recommend that. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, also, uh, definitely do the art of seduction with uh, the coquette thing. Very, very important. But with the INTJ, though, you might want to read uh, the ideal lover and the siren as well, uh, and maybe even the dandy uh, specifically uh, for this kind of relationship, because the INTJ may be a little confused as to what their role is. Uh, and that, that role confusion can be uh, an obstacle in homosexual relationships that need to be uh, uh, understood. But the thing is, is that as an ENTP, uh, Mr. Allender, uh, you have to go up to the INTJ, put your arms around him and just whisper in his ear and just be like, hey, I don't think it's possible for you to give me a bad experience or, to, or for you to, <laughs> to make me uncomfortable in, in the bedroom, right? So you got to bring it up like that. And that way, the INTJ knows that you're not judging them in that way. And they don't have to worry about the performance anxiety. The too considerate 
is mostly on the INTJ side and not the ENTP side from a sexual standpoint, right? So the INTJ needs to understand that it's their job to really lead in the experience giving of, uh, of mm -hmm. the sexual experience in a homosexual situation. It's their responsibility to do so. So as a result of that, make sure uh, that you are stating to them how comfortable they make you feel consistently. That way their performance anxiety goes away because they're usually being overly considerate because they're masking their performance anxiety. But if you're taking away their, the reason for them to be anxious in the first place, they're able to relax and it's a fantastic experience and all those uh, sexual problems will just automatically go away just from that alone. Uh, other than that, definitely read No More Mr. Nice Guy together and I would recommend doing the Art of Seduction together entirely. I highly, highly recommend it all, all the way through for sure. Can confirm Chase has used all these things on me. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> Great. All right. Um, did you answer that? Yeah, I answered that. Uh, so Gam Tower okay, is next. Let's go to the next one. Yep. All right. Gam Tower again. Thank you, sir. Any advice from ICP in their mid 30s who has been single their entire life, already read multiple books on dating and listened to many videos on it? Well, you. you I mean, if I might chime in here a bit, you, you trying to sound like the the graduate who has zero experience in their field. Oh. They have this in, this entire theoretical background. Who, who does that sound like? <laughs> yeah. Huh. I, I think what you need to do is you need to go and get your hands dirty. Yep. Definitely need to get your hands dirty. I, I mean, I might detect maybe some potential religious belief system causing some inhibitions there. Uh, not that that's right. a bad thing, but there might be some social considerations that you may need to get over. Uh, but read No More Mr. Nice Guy. Read The Way of the Superior Man. That's a really important one. Also, read the book, read the book Codependent No More as well. That's also very important. Uh, Megan Beatty, she wrote that. Uh, if you have a, uh, if you, if there's some concerns for religious uh, influence, uh, read the book When We Were on Fire uh, by Addy, and I think her last name is like a Z, A-D-D-I is her name, or A-D-D-I-E, Addy, and then like her last name is a Z. This is really important for people who are struggling with relationships as a result of, uh, you know, religious inhibitions getting in the way of uh, uh, romantic uh, relationship decision making. I highly recommend reading that book as well. But take these books uh, and and like Jab said, yes, definitely get your hands dirty. Obviously, don't lose your self-respect, though. So season four, season six and season 13 on this YouTube channel, watch every episode. It specifically deals with uh, human growth and relationships specifically. So you understand what the standards are and what you can expect from a mature uh, standpoint, especially a mature masculine standpoint. That way you don't get caught in the trap and end up with, uh, you know, uh, lower quality uh, partners to have relationships with, which which uh, right. you got to protect yourself, especially since you're an ISTP. Otherwise, you're potentially putting yourself at risk, provided you actually are an ISTP. But yes. Right. But even beyond that, like even if there are religious influence preventing you from doing certain things in relationships, yeah. I mean, there's nothing stopping you from going out on dates with women and having zero intention of having sex with Exactly. There is, there's is nothing wrong with that. I have done that. I actually, I think at one point in time, like 
about four years ago, I, I dated like around 50 women in like a six month period. And it was mostly of like, I have no intention to have sex with this woman at all. And it was like, I do one or two dates each before I move on to the next person. It's like, yeah, not interested. 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 You know, it, it's kind of like me, uh, you know, having... <laughs> it, it's weird you know people like started like people see me going out on dates with all these different women like it was a very small town and then they they think like i'm this super hypersexual person you know which i'll admit i actually am but the, the <laughs> yeah but the, confirm. <laughs> wow wow thanks <laughs> sorry that was just another yeah I, I i yeah i think i th i i think the audience uh thinks we're 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 in a relationship jab and that is not true but but apparently they think that now thanks to you <laughs> wow it's getting get, getting uh, getting getting trolled by my own co-host ladies and gentlemen uh anyway uh so with that being said like it's perfectly normal just you have to understand what your boundaries are so season six talks about needs standards boundaries and goals etc you have to have those four pillars handled understand what your standings your standards are uh, make sure you're meeting your needs but the standards are important so that you keep meeting your needs but have boundaries enforce those boundaries just because you don't have to have sex early you don't have to have that pressure you know have self-respect it's all about self-respect besides the people that you would date would end up liking you more because you have self-respect it's very very important so uh just because uh you're in your mid-30s your mid-30s and single your entire life again you just gotta get your hands dirty but have self-respect do a little bit more reading, do a little bit more research, but just get out there and try. And then fail, 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 fail. You got to fail. It's the only way you're going to learn. I mean, Owen Cook explains this perfectly with his uh, RSD Motivation Company on YouTube. Go to RSD Motivation. It's a, uh, and he's RSD Tyler, but his real name is uh, Owen Cook. And uh, he talks about cold approach pickup. Uh, very interesting uh, a tactic that he uses. And he's an ENFP which is interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but yeah, like you have to get your hands dirty. It's the only way you're going to win. You know, that, that effie inferior social anxiety, you got to get over that because if someone, and right. that effie inferior causes fear of rejection, I get it. But fear of rejection, you need to, you need to understand that you need to be rejected 50 times. Like you need to like seek to be rejected 50 times. So go get rejected right. 50 times real quick. You'll learn super quick. You'll gain the wisdom that you need to be able to handle relationships properly on top of all that information I just gave you and you're good to go. No problem. Okay. So game Taru, like, so you say you're just bad at dating. Like, can you quantify that any further when I'm reading what you're saying? Like, um, do people find you unattractive? Like what's going on? Do you creep women out? Like specifically, and waiting for a response. Like, do these ladies give you feedback? Like, do they seem uncomfortable? What's going on? Like, also don't drink. I don't drink either. It's not a problem. Uh, I have, so I do have you have any drinking. feedback? Do you have any feedback as to why they don't continue to pursue the relationship with you? I mean, are you in shape? Like, they never give any feedback. 
do you have any semblance of the idea as to what it might be? Like, is there something they, about if, yourself which you, if they you don't, could improve? If they're not giving feedback, that that just tells me a nice guy syndrome through Effie Inferior. That's what it. This is what it sounds like mm. to me. It's literally what it sounds like to me. Uh, yeah, even nice guys can get laid and stay in a relationship for a month or two. Well, or married to the wrong woman for over a decade. <laughs> right, exactly. So this tells me the problem might be a little bit more deeper than that. Um, yep. Well, like literally try and fail. That's that's based on the information that I have, really. You said you said you'd ask out a hundred women or so. I think that's a bit of an exaggeration. Um, Maybe, but without more information, uh, honestly. So, Mr. Gantaro, try to join the Discord and come up with some additional information uh, and create a, a larger question. Uh, if you want to have another question, then just stick it in the Q and A channel on our Discord server, and uh, when we get to that question, we'll we'll answer that question for you. So, no problem. And then just uh, I mean, ahead, here's that. a good few questions for you. Um, do you have a job? Do you have your own place? Do you have your own transportation? Because there's nothing that's gonna, you know. Yeah, no woman is gonna say yes. Your age. Yeah. Because you said you were in your thirties. There's no thirty-year-old woman that's gonna be like, "Oh my god, this guy lives with his parents. Let's fucking." <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't work out. Let's do what we gotta do. So he says yes, yes, and yes. So he's got his own car. He's got his own place. He's got his own job. Okay, well, uh, then work on warrior archetype. And then what about magician archetype? Are you helping other men and have good relationships with other men to uh, help them get uh, their own place and their own job and their own... You got to help your fellow man. You know, that's what the magician archetype is all about. Warrior archetype, do you have the resources to actually protect your kingdom? You know, your job, your car, your own, your castle? Do you have those resources? You need to have warrior, right? It's really important, so... Uh, try to make sure to get that handled as well. So, hey, Jab, uh, I think we should move on to the next question. Taj Marie's got it. Yeah, we spent quite a bit of time on this one. Like, we need a bit more information because it sounds like there's some underlying cause yep. that we need to work on. Yeah, but um, like, next uh, question, well, here, here's the thing. Gantaro, Gantaro can email me right here and just toss me an email, and we can talk about it at length and uh, for sure. So just send me an email and, uh, and I'll respond and we'll figure that out. So yeah, uh, what's Taj Marie okay. got for us? How to modulate inferior SE to prevent burnout. Ah, yes. Stream okay. for over two hours. Yeah, <laughs> stream for over two hours. That's right. Uh, I know how to answer this. Um, uh, we're going to finish up the super chats and then uh, call it quits, uh, folks. But um, so uh, how to modulate SE uh, inferior to prevent burnout. There's two ways. Uh, depends what's causing the burnout. Because there's usually two ways to burn out SE inferior. One, uh, it's because there's too much variety in the experience that you're providing to other people. And it's really mm -hmm. exhausting to have way too much variety instead of just focusing on one experience and just improving that one experience. So you may feel too stretched by having or being expected to have to provide a variety of different experiences to the same person or to different people at different times. That could be exhausting. Another way, uh, another way that it happens yeah. is if SE inferior is just bored, bored of doing the same thing over and over and over and just becomes monotonous, right? That's another burnout uh, approach with SE inferior. Those things cause burnout. So to prevent burnout, 
do the opposite. Identify the cause of the burnout first and then just do the opposite and then you're good to go. If you're being uh, burned out because it's monotonous, shake things up, change things, uh, make different decisions uh, and you're good to go on that side. No problem. If you're, uh, right. if you're burning out because of too much variety, narrow the scope. Seriously, narrow the scope, do less things, focus on one thing, maybe two things, and then just improve those things and master those experiences before moving on to the next one, et cetera. Narrow the scope. Try not to do too many things at one time with your inferior SE. This would be like, I mean, this could be applied anyway. This could be applied to like racing cars. Like for example, you know, just focus on one car or one engine, et cetera, you know, or fine tuning one aspect of the car before moving on to the next one. So trying to fine tune too many things. Or if you're bored of just working on the same car at all times, get another car, spice it up, give some variety. Because the things that you learn on the other car, you'll be able to apply to the first car, et cetera. Right. And that's how I'd recommend uh, uh, modulating inferior SE to prevent burnout. Yeah. Well, I wasn't being informative. I could go for another hour if you want. <laughs> but it looks, looks like you're getting tired. Uh, a, little, easy, dude. a little bit. Well, we'll see what we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Uh, All right, Lorenzo. Lorenzo, got it. Awesome. Lorenzo asks, can SI trickster slash demon cause a person to feel as if they are not always the same? Can low SI users easily forget who they are and what their goals are? Ooh, that sounds more like an NI. Yeah. Um, so they can, the SI users can easily forget who they are. Yes, that's a thing. Actually, it's a very big need of NI users to have photos and photos in the house because those photos help them remember the experiences they shared with other people. Like, for example, take an NFJ woman who's married to uh, an NP of some kind, let's say um, an INFP. Okay. The INFP doesn't typically take pictures or is in pictures. It just doesn't happen very much because it's not really a priority to them because they remember everything. So why do I need a photo? The photo is for the right. NFJ woman because the NFJ woman's like, oh, that photo is proof of our relationship that I can remember. Otherwise, they feel like they're not really in a relationship because the photo is a totem. So they need totems. So if they have low SI and they're not and they don't have enough totems like photos or or anything like that uh, to remind them. Or, or keepsakes, et cetera, to remind them of memories that they've had in the past. Well, they don't have those reminders. Well, it's a problem, right? So those totems are super mega important to the NFJ in that NFJ, mm -hmm. NFP relationship, et cetera. Right. Now, in terms of forgetting their goals, the NI user is not going to forget their goals. They always will know what they want, um, but they will definitely you know, feel like they're forgetting who they are and what they're all about, as well as the experiences that they've shared with other people. And they're just forgetful that way because they don't have as much long access to their long-term memory. They have great access, mental access to their short-term memory, but they lack that long-term memory access, right? To be able to access it like a bank, et cetera, you know, access, accessing that, that, that deposit account or that safety deposit box that has your long-term memories and archive, et cetera. So that's, that's how I would answer that question for sure. Okay, um, I think we have another super chat. Tips for an ESTP in an academic setting. I, wait, where is it? I, did I? Right near the oh, bottom. there it is. Gosh, it's just not loading up for me. It's really rough. Okay, Reaper again, awesome. 
Tips for an ESTP in an academic setting. Uh, academic setting. So, I like some experiment, experimental yeah, work. Yeah, experimental work would be helpful. But uh, here's the thing: I learned from my ESTP mentor, who first uh, who started teaching me this kind, this form of depth depth psychology. Um, he he was a submariner. And he told me that from an ESTP's, from an STP's point of view, quite frankly, uh, he, he maintained that, you know, when you're on the boat, when you're on the submarine, he who is the smartest person on the boat is the most important person on the boat because he who remembers everything in the boat means you're more important. You're even more important than the captain because if you do not know every inch of that boat, lives are at stake. That's an issue. It's a big hunk of mental under, under huge amounts of pressure that you try not to collide anything with anything while you're trying to move it and carry a nuclear payload as well as a nuclear reactor. It, it can be really difficult. So based on that, it's really, really important to make sure that, uh, yes, I do have an IFJ mentor, but I was first mentored by an ESTP, then an INFJ, uh, Taylor. So I wanted to, uh, make sure that that was known. But uh, my ESTP mentor was in, in the Navy and he was a submariner and uh, he explained to me how his academic approach really was. And that when he was learning something, it was basically for him to show that he was the strongest man on the boat. So when you're studying for something in an academic setting, you want to really do it as a demonstration of strength. As an ESTP, you want to show others that you're the best. Uh, make it a competition. Right. You want to be the best. You want to be the smartest guy in the room because that, quite frankly, ends up giving the ESTP the foundation of what they need to develop their INFJ subconscious, which is wisdom, the wisdom of the sage of the mountain, which is their INFJ subconscious, and confer that wisdom upon other people. And that's what my submariner mentor did. He was able to work with other sailors and help other sailors when they were out at sea to understand the boat more. And everyone went to him for advice. Everyone went to him for help, which gave him a lot of power. It also gave him his own little wolf pack, basically his own posse on the boat, etc. And that's very, very necessary for an ESTP to have, especially when they're out at sea, right? So I would seriously uh, recommend uh, checking out, uh, uh, I, I would seriously recommend, you know, utilizing your academic career from that point of view. Uh, focus on being correct focus on being right uh, with your TI parent. Uh, and now if you're in terms of your academic career, if you're concerned about what it is you want to do, you should probably know that before you invest in an academic career that could land you with debt. If you don't know what you want, then that would be a problem. But some career paths I would recommend for an ESTP, marketing, uh, PR uh, for sure, uh, uh, running, being a foreman of some kind, be it on a construction site or not, uh, operating heavy machinery, uh, safety, very safety oriented, safety inspector with that ISTJ shadow. They're very good at that. Uh, and teaching skills uh, in one-on-one -on -one scenarios, taking on an apprentice of some kind and apprenticing with one person at a time until you have like a whole wolf pack of apprentices basically working for you, essentially. Not really much of a group setting, but a one-on-one -on -one with your INFJ subconscious. And those kinds of, uh, of uh, careers in that scenario uh, is what I would uh, recommend uh, in that direction uh, for sure. So hopefully that... Uh, that answers uh, that question uh, for you, Mr. Reaper. 
All right. Um, so you want to keep going, or should we wrap it up here? Let's uh, let's get a few more Discord in. Uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, Athens. Uh, I actually have a uh, season just on that content, so I'm not going to answer that question here. Um, and uh, Jab, let's do one final question uh, from your queue over there. Okay. So let's see. Actually, just pin the last question we were at. So. And that is, why do you think INJs are so private? Do you recommend anything for these types to mitigate this? Uh, they're so private. Any nemesis. Yeah, they're so private because of any nemesis. Because if they reveal things about them, then who knows what people may do about that later. What if those people betray them later? What if those people hurt their future later? What if those people uh, reveal that information and destroy their reputation later? Like, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this person does this to me? What if that person does this to me? What, you know, what am I going to do when this happens, et cetera? That is why they're very private. Uh, very, very important. INJs uh, have this... Um, uh, you know, INJs have this issue. It could be a serious, it could be a serious problem. So very, very important. Um, you know, like I get that people often tell INJs that they're paranoid, but they're kind of paranoid for a reason because they can't like INTJs can be really gullible, for example, or INFJs could be too trusting uh, in a social situation of people with their feelings, etc. Uh, trusting that another person's a good person versus uh, an INTJ who's trusting that another person is correct with what they're saying, right? And so based on that, it's important to make sure that, uh, you know, because because like when, when INJs get involved in relationships or friendships with people, they're all in. Like they are in. They are intertwined. They are like, they're all in. And uh, it's important that the people that they're with are just as all in as they are because they're so black and white. I mean, they're all in or all out, bro. You know, that's just kind of how they do it, right? So INJs need to be able to have that level of intimacy with anyone they come into contact with. The problem is they can't just show their cards to anyone because when they, they don't show one card at a time, they show all their cards, they show their entire hand, or they don't show anything at all. That's literally how mm -hmm. INJs work. So it's, it's yeah. So that's where the, um, that's where the uh, paranoia comes. So now, of course, if someone's like saying like NK says, I'm not paranoid enough, LOL. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, it's just, it's just about being, it's just about being wise. Uh, it's important to be wise uh, and make sure that when you're trusting someone that, that they're actually really trustworthy, verify that first, uh, have them demonstrate loyalty to you first so that you know, it's okay to share your hand with them versus when not to, it, it's very important. And yes, high risk, high reward, Lia sickness said that very well. Um, uh, high risk, high reward. That's a very good point about INJs. I, I couldn't have said it any better for sure. So all right, I, I think that's uh that's everything for us, Jab. Yeah. That was a very long stream, uh, but worth it for the end of the year. You know what I mean? So absolutely. Needed to happen. Uh, Miss you guys. Yeah. So it's gonna be 2019 soon, guys. What do you reckon? Yeah, 2019. New Year's uh New Year's resolutions, right? Just in time for us to not resolve to do anything. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> But yeah, uh, hey Joseph, remember God. Is that your mother on the Michael Jordan account? Yeah, uh, Michael Jordan. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, apparently, I don't remember God. I don't know why people think that. But okay. Uh, that's why I thought it was your mother. Oh, 
CS Santa. Okay. And then we got CS Jab and CS Santa. Great. <laughs> right. CS Santa. You calling me fat? <laughs> no, they're calling, calling me old. Oh, okay. You can be fat and old. I don't care. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll be fat and old then. <laughs> all right. Cool. Well, thank you all for being here. Uh, thank you all for coming. Uh, we'll see you on Saturday, next Saturday. And then we're probably going to be doing a how to type stream uh, very soon. Uh, uh, and uh, we'll let you know when that is. Probably going to be Tuesday night, if I remember correctly. Um, but we'll we'll talk to Jab and see when that's going to be. Otherwise, uh, yeah. good to be back. Good to be in my uh, studio. And I've got my car studio. And i got the equipment to be able to do that. So awesome. <laughs> fantastic. Thanks for coming. And we'll see you guys next time. Have a good night. Yeah. If any of you want to chat, I'll be in the chat today. Yep. Later. Later.